Shut up, the podcast is starting. At least somebody had to do it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Celluloid Breakdown. My name is Joey Bonnier. Next to me is Sean Sean. Faw. Across from him is Tim Snow. Yes. Derek is gone and I'm in his chair. Hey, Tim. Hey. Uh, Derek, yeah, Derek is gone. That's okay. We're going to make up for it with our love of this movie. Right, guys? Yeah. Yeah. I'm also interesting enough for Derek. Does Derek bring the love? Is that his job? Yeah. Not necessarily. what, What do we have to make up for? What are we missing without Derek? Derek's segments do do the worst in the polls. Mm, the one, the one email that we received. <laughs> He's gonna listen to this. Gonna, I'm gonna get like all shitty shifts one week. Either way, uh, so we did watch Stagecoach, directed by John Ford, starring John Wayne, starring John Wayne, a bunch of other actors too. He, you know, he was also known as White Power John Wayne. Damn. Just throwing it out there. Yeah, huh? coming out of the figured gate. I, yeah, coming out. Come out hot with it. Wow. All right. Wow. Uh, well, um, let's start off hot then. Tim, what did you think about this movie? What are your first impressions? I was really surprised at how much I enjoyed it. Uh, I, uh, it, it was just a good time. It was a well done western, especially for being so early. I wasn't expecting it to be such a well done film. Hmm. I really enjoyed the sound, particularly. Um, Am I just a little too? Uh, no, no, you're good. I really enjoyed the sound, particularly, uh, and uh, what the film was able to do with silence in a lot of key moments that really drummed up tension in a really uh, pleasing way. Uh, the stunts were fantastic. I don't mm. really, uh, I, I don't think the ASPCA would like to watch this picture. Oh, we will talk about that. Yeah, no, they would not. Um, but you know, the the the. the Animal wrangling, notwithstanding, the stunts in this film were fantastic. Um, and uh, this is actually the first John Wayne film I've ever seen. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, and I really, uh, you know, he he's got a he's got a presence to him. I, mm. I certainly like. He wasn't. It seemed like this. I, I'm not too sure about where he was in his career at this point. We'll mm. discuss that a little more later. But uh, he, he, it wasn't his movie as much. You know, I kind of, this is like a Western breakfast club. Yeah. It it's almost fun. like second act that we see him. Yeah. Yeah. And and he's still not the focal point of the picture. He steals the show because he's yeah. John fucking Wayne. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's a movie about uh, a lot more than him. You know, I was mm. expecting it to, you know, if, if, if John Wayne's in it, it's going to be just John fucking Wayne. Yeah, yeah wasn't um and so no i i i had a good time watching it it was uh it was fun you hmm. know it was racist but uh <laughs> yeah that's yeah that it was racist <laughs> <laughs> i think it was racist but but yeah, it, was just, it was racist <laughs> okay uh sean fa what you what's your first impressions um it was okay. I definitely wouldn't have enjoyed it as much if I wasn't watching with you guys. Um, watching by myself, I think I would have been bored out of my out of my mind. Um, we paused a lot and made random comments a lot, and that made it a much more enjoyable movie. Um, there's a lot of slowness to it. There's a lot of like in between, uh, but I do definitely agree that uh, uh, the stunts and um, uh, you know 
John Wayne as a presence is uh, interesting. Um, but I don't like Westerns in general. Um, <laughs> oddly enough, I host another podcast called Wild Wild Westwood. Please uh, tune into that. Um, <laughs> Wild I'm Wild Westworld. I don't watch that. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll guest on it. Yeah, yeah nobody if, told me about it. If that show ever comes back. Um, oh, Westworld. Westworld. No, no, I'm out. Oh, not you're not. Yeah. Either way, stagecoach. Stagecoach. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's it's all right. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. I'll give you my first impressions. I uh, I did like this movie. This actually is my second time seeing this movie. I saw it once in school, actually in college. I took a class on international westerns, and the first movie they showed was this. There was this one because they kind of wanted to give you a traditional western, mm-hmm. and I feel like this is probably the. Godfather, the traditional of the quintessential all of them. Western. Yeah, because it is John Ford, the American Western director who we've come to know. And um, it's 1939, so it's really early. And it uses all of the traditional kind of tropes, but it does, uh, like, like, Tim said, it is like kind of a smorgasbord of characters. It is the breakfast club. It Assemble. Is, yeah. It is the old confederate. It is the drunk doctor. It is the reverend and the and the woman who's, you know, out too uptight. And then the woman who's got a past. Then we have John Wayne. So we have Everybody's a, an archetype. Everyone's yeah. an archetype. But And I, that was an issue I had. I did think it was a little bit too dimensional in the characters. But that's kind of just the story and the nature of this by itself. But I did enjoy it. Uh, I think it is a good story, honestly. Um, it is a little strange at the end. It, it feels disjointed. Like they get to their destination and then you have this final showdown, mm. almost like it's a Western. We have to shoot someone. Yeah. It felt a little tacked on, but I, I love Westerns. I got, I'm the opposite of Sean. I, I have such a, a, a little soft spot in my heart for Westerns. Just like, I think. Is it because of your affinity for civil war history? I think it might be part of it. I do like that era. I, for some reason, I'm drawn to it uh, for whatever reason. And it's, so many people are, whether it's like just love of horses or love of the desert mm. or open spaces, spaces and freedom and- All of that. Yeah. Or even just like simple shit. Like I like, you know, shooting old rifles. You know, there's people who are ta- drawn to that or people who are like, I love playing like old school- um, gambling games who go like to these, you know, they dress up and they go to these old casinos and they, you know, play Pharaoh or whatever. Um, so there's a lot of people like that who would love this era. And I guess, I think for, there's many, 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 many reasons, but I think yeah. to me, I love it because of the historical aspects too. And I love looking at other Westerns like spaghetti Westerns and, you know, Australian Westerns and Russian Westerns. And because it's a, basically also a look about how other cultures view America. And I'm endlessly fascinated by that by itself, just as a historical idea. But I also am just drawn to it because maybe I'm just a city boy and I love the West. I love just the idea of being in open spaces and the freedom of it. And I think it's just so cool. I love Westerns too. Nothing like a man in tight leather pants. (laughs) Or ridiculously huge chaps. Or ridiculously (laughs) huge chaps. Cheap leather too. (laughs) Jesus. Come on, costume. John Ford, you <laughs> fucking cheapskate. Get some decent chaps on your actors. Yeah. So, uh, Sean, let's get let's get a little breakdown of the story, please. All right, break it down. Um, yeah, we get a bunch of people. We put them in the coach. We drive west, I guess, and uh, we're we done. all we <laughs> learn something about <laughs> yeah, each other. Yeah, a certain town. They're all they all have to leave to go to a, what's it called, Lordstown, Lawrenceburg. Yeah. Kansas. I'll check. I always forget this. I think it's Lawrenceburg, Lord. Kansas. Yeah. So we got uh, the introduction to a- um, New Mexico. A, New Me- oh. They so, have to yeah, leave the, from- The other guy was from Kansas. Whoops. They have well, to there's leave a Lawrenceburg from, in Kansas. I'm sure there is. 
They have to leave from uh, Tonto in Arizona territory to <coughs> Lordsburg, New Mexico. Mm, which is, at some point they say is only supposed to be a couple hours, but then I realized I think that's a couple hours to the next station. Mm, to the next post. Yeah, yeah not to the, the whole yeah. ride. But either way, we start in this uh, this town where people are loading up into a stagecoach. Uh, we got ourselves a drunk doctor, a uh uh, who's the other, uh, well, Lady we of the, the night. archetypes. Yeah. We we'll got go a bunch of people. Run out of town. Yeah. So we all load up on the stagecoach and we start, uh, heading out. But just before we take off, we find out, uh, Geronimo and his, cl- uh, clan, I guess, are tribe. Uh, tribe. That would be a more appropriate word. Uh, Geronimo and his tribe are wreaking havoc throughout the area. Apaches. Uh, the, the Apaches. The Apaches I mean, yeah. Oh, I'm saying that's a That's all. Right. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and the, okay, Geronimo and the rest of the Apaches. I, that wasn't like, I was just adding detail there. I wasn't trying to. Okay. Um, yeah, so basically they're wreaking havoc across the countryside and everyone's freaking out. The cavalry comes in to kind of escort this wagon train. We make it to the first town, which didn't expect to. Oh, wait, no. Before we make it to the first town, we pick up. Mr. John Wayne himself. Dun, dun, dun. Some weird shots there, but we'll get to that later. Um, we pick up John Wayne. Uh, we continue on. Everyone is kind of treating the one lady a little poorly, and John Wayne's the only one that's kind of like uh, embracing her or treating her like a lady. Um, we get to Dallas. The- Dallas, yes. The whore. Uh, we get to the, uh, the little town, and uh, we get fed. Then we move on to the next town. Or we get back in the stagecoach, a little random conversation happens that nothing really matters, and then we get to the next town, and the uppity lady has a baby. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yep. Uppity's yep. an inherently racist one. <gasps> She's white. It's not racist. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on from this. What happened after that, Sean? Um, not a lot. We uh, bicker about whether or not to leave the town with the newly born baby mm-hmm. or to hang out and uh, wait for Geronimo and his Apache to rain hellfire upon this little town. Uh, they decide to move on. No, they At- wait They wait a, uh, a day or two. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Oh, they yeah, do wait, they a, wait a day. Maybe. They wait about a day and then they move on. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, because because during the night, uh, John Wayne tries to escape, uh, mm-hmm. and then he sees that there's an Apache camp uh, off to, in the distance. And then they leave. Yeah, then they leave in the morning. Um, they, uh, from <clears throat> there, uh, the Apaches attack on their way. Uh, lots of stunts and hijinks ensue. Millions of horses die. And, uh, and Apache. The ca- Well, whatever. Uh, and the cavalry comes in. I was, oh, I see what you're saying. I, it's okay. Uh, Tim is making a very bad face. But When we get to the horse <laughs> section, I will elaborate further. No humans died in this movie, but horses died. Um, so Likely, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I was referring to. Um, but yeah, uh, then the, uh, the cavalry rides in and uh, everything is wonderful. Then what? Should be the end of the movie as we go into the town, but then they tack on a little bit more. Well, they gotta wrap some <laughs> shit up. Yeah. So we go into the town, and uh, apparently the 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 banker that was with us was uh, trying An embezzler. Some sort of. We they, knew that all the time. Everything is vague in this movie, but yeah, we kind of got the. We we got the impression that the we know he's bad. That's yeah, all. yeah. Well, he's he's a dick the whole time. He he's a banker. We knew he was fucking thing and yeah. trying to get away. Something about telegraph lines. 
Well, he was taking care of this briefcase that we knew there was money in it. And mm-hmm. then we obviously knew that he was extra protective of it. So yeah, when he got to the to location, we knew that, you know, the money was probably something he was going to It steal. wasn't, it wasn't handled very well. Yeah. His arrest, it really came out of nowhere. I, yeah. I, I was, I, I thought I missed a couple lines of the dialogue thing is, this or movie treats, I I And I bet Sean's going to say the same thing is that it treats, it treats us very stupid Treats the audience like we're dumb in very in a lot of moments, but then it just doesn't give us anything in other moments. Yeah. So there's a lot of red herrings and loose ends and that kind of stuff. But then it also like hammers us with some of this weirder, you know, John Wayne stuff and the uh, and the alcoholism stuff. So uh, which we'll talk about more of the alcoholism stuff. But I think that um, I don't know. It's just a little bit tone wise too shifty back and forth. Well, yeah. There's a whole plot where they pick up John Wayne and they're supposed to be he gets arrested. Like, I don't understand how that was working out. Like when we first meet John Wayne, he's like, you know, hey, buddy, what's going on? I'm joining on the stagecoach. And then he's all like, you're under arrest, son. Get in the back. Give me your gun. And then for like the rest of the time, he's kind of like under arrest and trying to escape, but not really. And then we get to the town and all of a sudden he's not under arrest anymore. And I don't really understand why. Well, I think they were trying to do the thing where we're in a lot of movies, you know, they they have the outlaw who's going with them and he's, you know, oh, we got to take you out of the handcuffs because what we have a common foe and you got to be able to shoot, Mm -hmm. you know, where's your Winchester when you need it. So you think it was like time served? Like, you know, he kind of like did his community service and like, he he helped out so much in the stagecoach or mm. something like that that they cleared his name. And as awful as it sa- sounds, every Apache he killed probably worked off his bounty, if you will, or something. Mm. And again, I, it's, I, it sounds I, awful. I, I, no, but no, I, I see. I understand the logic of what you're saying. I don't think the movie said any of that. I don't think, I think so the either. movie implied a it lot implied of things. It. Yeah. it implied that he was protecting the stagecoats, and also at the end when he killed the three plumber men <laughs> brothers, Mario, Luigi, they were theoretically, yeah. I, I, we assume they Wild were bad Luigi. and criminals. Mm-hmm. So he might have, you know, k- killed the bounty or gotten the bounty. Yeah. On well, them. he was free before he. That was why he got a gun and <clears> went out to kill those guys. Like he he was already not arrested, and then he decided, hey, I'm in this town. I'm going to go kill those guys that killed my pa. It was, yeah. All of it, it was good. All it of it was, it was not it was just well vague. exposed. Yeah, yeah. yeah, all of it was kind of vague, except for the end when we find out she's a whore. A whore. Yeah, that's pretty I, pretty obvious. There was a lot of artsy shots, which I felt <laughs> were like too artsy. It was like mm-hmm. maybe just turn around and give me a couple over over the shoulders, over the shoulders, yeah. and get some dialogue in there, uh, where they're just kind of walking and looking at sh- buildings. I'm like, okay. Maybe just a little dialogue here. Well, I think also it was like they were trying to say something a little more risque in a time where that was looked really, really. I think you're right. Down upon, you know, so uh, they couldn't come out and say like, just (laughs) nah, this one catches fucking Dex, dude. Like, (laughs) 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 they couldn't say that. No, they couldn't say that. They weren't as free as I am. Uh, and so they had to, you know, I'm do bleep the, all of that. The arts. Oh, no, we're not going to bleep that. <laughs> bleep my great. What, what was it? A Boston accent? It was kind of. I don't know. So sorry. It's East interesting Coast, that so. you slip into that. Huh? It's like a Goodwill Hunting kind of thing. You do. I watch. Uh, I watch a lot of Scorsese movies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That makes the, uh, sense. the Matt Damon really comes sense. out. Yeah, there. I watch. I watch too much of The Departed. Yeah. Okay. So, um, how about? Uh, some of this historical context here, I suppose. Mm. Um, 
Film seems to be set between 1865 and 1875. I'm leaning <laughs> towards 1875 as it seems that some time has passed. And also, how did all these gentlemen that fought in the war get so far west? You know what I mean? So that, I'm thinking 1873. Okay. Uh, you can sure. travel west very quickly. That doesn't make any sense. And, and the Civil War was fought all over the country. So they could, they could literally have fought in New Mexico. Uh. Yeah. IMDb says 1880s. 1880s. Yeah. Uh, Well, I was closer than Joey. Joey thought it was 1865. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, the in conjunction with Appomattox. Well, well, a lot of these, like looking back on, like you know, the doctor talking about how he was doing these things just after he got honorably discharged, and this talking about it like it happened yesterday. Oh, I got the impression he was talking about it like it happened like a lifetime ago. Yeah. No, no, not him. I also thought John Wayne's really young. So like the fact. Oh that he, really? Because I thought it was ridiculous that everyone kept calling him the kid. He looked twenties. He looked twenty. <laughs> he, he, he did look young for John Wayne. Yeah, but also yeah, a little old. For, <laughs> oh come on, the kid. kid. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. just. You know, he wasn't that dicks my age. He wasn't the pilgrim <laughs> yet. But, but remember, he was put into the uh, penitentiary in the prison system when he was when he just, was seventeen. Just seventeen. Mm. Going on seventeen. You know what 16. I mean. Recidivism yeah. and all. Yeah. The horrible system. Yeah. So, circle. Um, I thought there was very, a, a lot of uh, jingoistic kind of stuff with the U.S. Army. They were very much a deus ex machina in many moments, especially at the end. There was the whole uh, war of uh, Southern attrition debate or, uh, yeah. It felt like John Ford was trying to get America all united and together. Let, let's get on the same page. Let's get on the same stagecoach here from all over the country. Well, let's put up to fight a war. Let's put our uh, our our, uh, our differences aside and fight the evil Comanche. I'm sorry, Apache. Oh God, no. Let's. I mean, the Nazis. Let's turn that. You know, it felt like that. So, it well, was, yeah. And there was even the angle where the um uh the uh what was the the Mexican fort guy's name um Bill. No, no. The, the the second town that they go to was basically all the Amer or the uh, American soldiers had left, and it was just run by the the Mexicans that were left over. Oh, the fellow with the wonky eye. Yeah, yeah. And uh, his wife was Apache, mm-hmm. and there were a lot of like you know off comments and weird looks and uneasiness about that. And Somebody it did turn out over it. Well, and it did turn out that she ended up disappearing in the night and stealing his horse and going off to join the. The evil uh, villain. Yeah, like I said, this movie's fucking racist. That's well. I mean, it's you know, it is propagandistic at least. Um, it is uh, certainly, especially 1939. There, you know, we're gearing up to, uh, uh, depending yeah. on your perspective. Yeah. <laughs> so his name is uh, this guy Chris Peen Martin. Uh, he's in a lot of westerns. He acted in over a hundred films between twenty-five and fifty-three, fifty westerns, hmm. and obviously always that slow comedic character. He's yeah. broken, broken. The guy English. that played Buck in this film did eight other films that year. Yeah, and I'm sure it was all the same character. Yeah. Probably, yeah. yeah there was are- just so many westerns. Like TV was just kind of coming mm-hmm. out, so everyone wanted more westerns. And-, <laughs> and I think that's my big problem with westerns is that like they're just so archetyp- archetypal. Like mm-hmm. they're cookie cutter almost. They're like very, very yeah. uh, redundant. And like, you know, once you've seen one, you've seen them all. Other than that, they're very slow, which I just hate in fucking movies. That's a, I like Did that kind of Did you think that it was slow? No. 
Yeah, I didn't think it was slow either. Especially for an older movie. I thought this yeah, was I, I was good. really surprised at the pacing and the- There was, was a few moments, but I did think it moved pretty well. No, mm-hmm. no. Yeah, I'm talking about uh, Westerns in general as yeah. a genre. There were slow, or like, you know, just kind of sweeping moments, I guess I would say, in this mm. movie. Um, those kind of like, uh, you know, there's a lot of dial- heavy dialogue scenes, and then we'll just kind of like walk along a fence for a while. And that's the type of stuff where like, unless it's really fucking beautiful cinematography, my brain just shuts off. And like, that's, you know, I mean, even us, when we were watching it, that's like every time that happened, that's when we would have a conversation. And that's when we would fill in those gaps kind of, which is why I say that like, this is a movie that I could never enjoy watching watching by myself, but watching in a room full of people that aren't like, you know, anal about it is enjoyable. A mystery uh, science theater, little, if you were. You were, yeah. A little anal about it. Kind of a yeah, you were, you were derricking us. I just want to listen to some of the sounds and the dialogue and you were talking uh, the about it. The, the sound in the movie was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Really? Yeah. Well, we'll get to that. I'm <laughs> curious why you say that. Well, you mentioned it earlier, but I will get to it later, I think. Um, let's talk about some of the uh, the actors here. We we got to talk about, number one, John Wayne. Mm-hmm. Old John. This is your first John Wayne movie. That's fascinating to Yeah, me. yeah. I, uh, what was your impression when you first, the first Dolly shot when you saw him? Were you surprised? <laughs> like, Well, the- I was like... <laughs> Man, that's soft in the middle yeah. there. <laughs> that's the one they printed. Exactly. <laughs> um, that's the intro shot to your hero character. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so apart from the the just the, the it being bad camera work, um, uh, I don't know. You know, he's he's cute. <laughs> did you think he did a good job in this movie? Uh, Were you? Did was he heroic? Did you like his character? Did he good? Was he believable? Come on, give me the rundown. He was. He, I think the allure of John Wayne is that he's just kind of got, uh, and and this is being a person that's never really seen any John Wayne films and just kind of like known who he is because John Wayne. Um, uh, he he's just he's got presence to him. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say he's got great deep performance. You know, he's no fucking Brando. Yeah, he's um, kind of a one trick pony. Yeah, well, he just you know he's good at he's good at being there, Pilgrim. You know, like. Uh, He's good at strong, silent type. Yeah, he's just, he's good at brooding, you know, standing there and looking good. Um, He's uh, the Ryan Gosling of his time. Sort of, (laughs) yeah. Except for for the whole Mickey Mouse I want to say one, a couple things I noticed about him and I really loved in this movie, I didn't notice before, were his presence, you say, but his little mannerisms and his movements and his actions, um, which you can't teach. And the first one I loved was immediately when when we're, introduced him after his dolly shot and he comes to the side of the stagecoach, he pulls out his Winchester and he pulls it out and does the, you know, the flip thing where he flips it around, reloads mm-hmm. it kind of thing, or, or I don't know, whatever he does, un- mm-hmm. uncocks the- uh, The drumstick trick, but with a shotgun. And then he like throws it in one move, in one hand into the side of the stagecoach and it was effortless and like, he didn't look at it. It was, it was like a, a no look pass. It was really- really deft. And honestly, I was really impressed. And I was like, wow, I don't know how many takes he did, but he really like knows how to simply just master this prop and and, and is 100% this part. That and was it, vastly in contrast to Buck's stagecoach driving. Right. Yeah. And I think it, it, you're <laughs> wow. right. And a lot of, you're right. And it's such a big dynamic contrast between all <laughs> of the fakeness of everything around that when you yeah. see this little moments of authenticity, you're like, whoa, that is really actually, a, like a, we're just, drawn to it. He, yeah. And, he's a, <clears throat> sorry. 
allergies. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's just a fucking cowboy, you yeah. know? Yeah. He really is. Well, I think you're getting to the point that I wanted to hit on, though, is I think that John Wayne was in a different movie. Um, this, you know, he his performance to me stuck out like a sore thumb uh, compared to every other performance that was like theatrical and loud and fucking big. He is very subtle and subdued and, you know, just in different worlds. Like they are in the old school broad vaudevillian sort of acting style. Mm -hmm. And he is part of that newer style of that, you know, realism. And it just seemed like two very different things in the same movie. And I even commented kind of early on about how it felt like John Wayne was being shot separately. Like he was, you know, on his own soundstage because he's often in these just like single shots with no one else in the frame. And, you know, he's just acting his heart out, but it doesn't feel like anyone else in the movie. Everyone else just feels very cartoonish and caricaturish where he is like a real person. I agree. It's, I mean, now we're, we're, it's interesting in many ways how we're always drawn to the rebel mm. and the rebel is the anti-hero. And he did cut, you know, he was in jail since he was 16, 17, just came out of jail. So he's no, you know, he's no saint. And the fact that he's the hero is, is also very, you know, obvious and interesting, but that we are, you know, forced to sympathize with him and not anyone else uh, is, is interesting because there's no one really you're drawn to, you need not drawn to the drunk doctor or the Confederate guy, dandy, mm -hmm. or even, you know, the reverend or the evil banker. They're all bad characters or even, or even the sheriff, you know, Curly or Buck, you're not drawn to them either, you know? So it's almost like you're just left with this one guy and they force you to love him with the way they shoot him and the way they, they treat him. Exactly. And again, that's my issue there is it felt like it was, I'm being told that I should like yeah. this guy rather than actually liking this guy. I you think know? that, oh, I was reading, sorry to cut you no, off. I was reading about uh, how he shopped this around mm. and he wanted to make John Wayne a big deal. Mm. And he- is this, and, this is John Wayne's first as well? Pretty much. He yeah. was not a big deal before. He was, I'm sure he had like small parts mm. here and there, but John Ford shopped in around and they didn't want him. They didn't know who John Wayne was. They didn't yeah. want to put any faith into him. But I think it was clear that he wanted to kind of start a- series of films with John Wayne. He mm. knew that what he had and he was smart and he knew he could sell him as this authentic character. And boy, was he right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't seen a whole lot of other John Wayne movies, but I think the acting around him evolves uh, rather than him changing to that style. I think that's true. Uh, just a couple more moments with him. Uh, he gets out of the way when the water comes the second time, yeah, when yeah. that one guy gets doused with water and the yeah. water comes the second time. He effortlessly dodges yeah, yeah. so coolly. And then when he wipes him down with a towel in the same shot, right? This is just all one shot. He wipes him down twice, does these two little you know, quick movements and then wipes his own face really quickly and then goes back to the dude's face and wipes his face with the water. It was just so well done and smart and it was so clearly improv but perfectly done. Yeah. I, I was just like, wow, you're just, this is you. This is the part. I yeah, can't. And he's just a man that knows what to do in every situation. Right. He's Everything is under control. Yep. Everything has been done a million times. Don't worry. I got this. Uh, and I noticed that lighting the cigarette on the oil lamp, you guys said that was no big deal. I thought that was kind of badass and cool. I've lit a cigarette off a of stupider shit than an oil <laughs> lamp. I'll tell you that. Okay. Well, maybe that again, city boy just talking, thinking everything is cool. Uh, but uh, Billy Crystal I should over take here. you out to the farm sometime. 
I would love that. That would actually be fun. We'll go shoot guns I'd, at a bus. I'd mm. be like Pauly Shore and son-in-law. <laughs> shorts and all? That would be I'll awesome. I'll bring my never nude shorts. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. How about some more stuff about story and character? I got a lot of stuff here because Uh-oh. I did really like Luke Plummer, the bad guy. Yeah, he he could for being in the film such a short period. Mm. I feel like the sound did him a lot of yeah, fucking favors. For sure. It did. Did him a lot of favors. This Those is the point in the film that, no like, you know, there, there were certain moments in the film where silence uh, was really beautifully used, in my opinion. But this in particular, this scene where, like, the whole bar would just go silent and mm. it would just be him that we're, that we're focusing on as he smolders in this crowd. When he pulled the shotgun away, he asked for the shotgun, he pulled it and it broke, like, three glasses yeah. and the bar quickly just silent yeah. that was a pretty cool moment uh and they you're right they only had a few moments to sell it because they was only on screen for like yeah. a, like three shots before we had to like kill him and then the his brothers what i thought was interesting they had to tell us <clears> the <throat> brothers were bad because they're about to die by our hero yeah and the only way they did that was they had a cat walking by and one of the brothers mm-hmm. shot at the cat and I, missed i missed yeah. so it was like okay instead of saving the cat we got to kill the cat exactly. moment yep. i'm like okay i get what you're doing john ford which is fine. I just think it was just so, again, shoved in at the end. It was very quick. I also mm-hmm. found it hilarious because it was just after the scene where we killed about 100 horses. <laughs> Cats are not cool to die. I guess horses are, are expendable. Horses are like dogs that take you home when you're drunk. It's 1939. They probably, the horses were war horses. Well, limbs was engine horses. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. This movie's so fucking racist. <laughs> well, I guess this is the best section to talk about that then. Um, the fucking horses. So apparently there is a rig called the Running W, which even worse than we speculated. So we kind of oh. frame by framed it a little bit, uh, looking at like how they got those horses to fall. And I had heard before that they tripped them somehow. We looked at the the images it looked it, like they were bound by the ankles on the front legs yeah and our, they would just pull it yeah our speculation so what's was, this running w or whatever so apparently it's similar to that except their legs were attached to very thin wires that were attached to a solid post that was in the ground Jeez. so they would have them run at full speed and not know exactly when those wires were going to go taut and everything would just go tumbling forward. That's so fucked up. Yeah. So a large number of horses just died. A large number of horses had to be put down. Um, I couldn't see anything on actual numbers, but it didn't seem like any people died, but a lot were injured. Uh, but a lot of horses were died, were killed. A lot of, a lot of people were injured though. A lot of people were injured. Well, yeah. well some of those stunts, I was oh, just God absolutely flabbergasted yeah. what a sequence you know it once you get past the absolutely just gross animal cruelty <laughs> you know once you get past the fucking catastrophe that is that like the reality of that scene yeah what a fantastic sequence yeah, yeah. so just shockingly done you unbelievable know, the, the way <laughs> just the stunts in general yeah they got the guy that that literally goes underneath mm-hmm. the stagecoach at yeah. full at full speed yeah. let's let's give him some credit his name is yakima Kanut. he's kind of famous for this he's one of the most famous stunt coordinators for this he's mm-hmm. he was the stunt coordinator and basically said fuck it i'm doing it yeah, yeah. and he was the dude who jumped from horse to horse Dope. and and then went underneath yeah. the the stagecoach which obviously was paid homage to later on in indiana jones mm-hmm. when indiana jones went underneath whatever the fucking 
tank where oh underneath was. The, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. The jeep. he went over to the jeep underneath the jeep yeah yeah but i mean not only are you risking getting trampled by the horse and run over by everything but just like the drag at that speed and the the fall and like wow. every aspect of that just to to hold it in the wide shot and not cut away like there is no cheating there that motherfucker did every one of those things yeah that was the thing that was most surprising about all of those stunts is they yeah. were all done on wides yep. and it, it was just like all of us, when we were watching that, were just taken aback yeah. by the audacity of of all of that stuff. It's Jesus, the, uh, Jackie Chan school of uh, they of can action. never have done that at any other time. Yeah. You know, it, it and it, what's interesting is Sean said during the during the movie that it was out of place, and there was other shots too like yeah. this. And I do love them; they're fucking amazing, as you said. They're fantastic. They blew our minds, but they were just like, ah, Ken. The whole movie wasn't like this, yeah. so it does feel just out of place. It's all this studio shit, and then they go to like a handheld, crazy, like in your face, modern day shot, and then like back to studio, like rear projection and fans. And yeah. The the other scene that made me think of that was the fording of the river scene. Oh god, oh, that was the the oh. sound in that scene was fucking abysmal. Mm. There's some problems. I didn't understand that at all. The whole scene of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was there was it, like there was a gunshot out of nowhere, which was supposed to like draw our attention to something, and then really, really, really bad foley of horses crossing water. Well, um, a lot of muted dialogue. Uh, mm. Yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to reserve all my criticisms of sound and save it for my my, my oh for the Glissando corner. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, that's yeah, that's the title. <laughs> I do love it. Are we? Uh, what what are we talking about now? Uh, uh, what, what was your uh, your new game? Sweet, let's play my new game. Oh, I, I basically just saw a bunch of cool pieces of history and trivia from 1939. I thought we could kind of talk about it. Mm. So, a couple things. That doesn't sound like a game. No, it's a trivia game. <laughs> Basically, it's Tim versus Sean. Okay. Poland in 1939? Poland was a country. I see what you're saying, and the answer is yes. <laughs> they invaded did, Poland did in Poland 1939? Yes. Yeah. Score one for Tim. I really wasn't. That's not how this was, works. You can't just make up your own questions <laughs> yeah, that was, and answer them. <laughs> okay. Um, what color is the flag? Red, white, and blue. I win. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, what was the world population in 1939? Four billion. John Fah. Two billion. The answer is 2.3 billion. Jeez. Man. Yep. Slow down, America. <laughs> or, well, it's not actually not America. America. America is yeah. slowing down, which More is the problem. More abortions. Ohio um, was wrong. Mm. What? Oh, my God. Kidding. Just kidding. Relax. I, mean, I just think there should be more abortions. Is all. But unfortunately, in every other country, so then it gets weird. Just yeah, yeah. choice, choice yeah, yeah. all around. Yeah, that's good. Say choice all around. That's nice. <laughs> so more abortion. Protest. <laughs> okay. Uh, what was the U.S. life expectancy for men in 1939? 45. 55. 63. The answer is 62.1. Sean Faw. Damn. Yeah. All right, yeah. let's go to women. What is what is women's? Uh, in 55. 67. There's 65.4. Sean Faw's wiping the floor. Right <laughs> <laughs> I know my 1939. <laughs> well, when I come up with my own questions, I do great. Okay. Who were the World Series champions? Oh, fuck. That would That's be baseball? the Brooklyn Dodgers. <laughs> um, um, 
Um, I know it's not the Cubs. Um, <laughs> uh, the Yankees. That's correct. Wow. <laughs> and I'm getting my ass kicked. Okay. Time Magazine's Man of the Year. Ooh. I know it wasn't you. Oh. It was a Rockefeller, wasn't okay. it? No, there was the, the year that it was you and it was just a mirror on the cover. Oh. That was stupid. Uh, <laughs> was that a thing? Yeah. <laughs> it was like He's mid right. 2000s, I think. You go, you sad piece like, of shit. Exactly. <laughs> get, get little I know we're in a recession. Don't kill yourself. Uh, 1939, man 39. of the year. Oh, it's fucking Hitler, isn't it? That's his guess. What's your guess, Tim? Oh. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> my breath was taken away. <laughs> oh. uh, uh, it was uh, Kennedy Senior. <laughs> John er, Joe, Joe Kennedy. Joe Kennedy. <laughs> the answer is Joseph Stalin. Oh, same Ooh. difference. Was Hitler the year before? Fuck uh, me. I can guess. Was Let's Hitler see. really Times Man Hitler of the Year? Hitler was the Man of the Year. I think like yeah, thirty-eight or thirty-nine, or obviously not thirty-nine. That was Stalin. What the fuck? I'm pretty fucking sure. I've been wrong before. And I was You're offended right. that Hugo Boss yeah. was still popular. <laughs> thirty-eight was Hitler, and thirty-nine was Stalin. I didn't realize that. 30, Forty-two was also Stalin. Jesus Christ. Forty-two. Also Stalin mm. and thirty nine. Well, Duffer forty two is when he beat back Hitler, basically. So you know, theoretically, he saved World War Two. Who's the man of the year today? Obama. Question: Who was it this year? <laughs> I thought it was. Wasn't it like? I uh, think it was Trump. Oh no, Trump was like two years ago. I thought or it was something. like Me Too survivors. Oh, I don't know. Don't you have the list? Uh, oh, maybe. Yeah. Weird. Interesting. Sorry, I have to look it up now. You guys made me look it up. <laughs> Oh, Jamal Khashoggi was 2018. Uh, Who's that? That was the um, journalist that got killed in, uh, was it uh, Saudi Arabia? Oh, pass me, rest in peace. Uh, the uh, I was right, but it was 2017. Who My, was it? The people who, the silence breakers. Ah, right on. Um, any more 1939 trivia? Yeah, give us a, <laughs> give, me, um, give me a shot at redemption. <laughs> let's see. No, I mean, I don't have anything stupid. Uh, Make something up. I want to get one. <laughs> <laughs> Who was president in 1939? Who I'm, not no gonna get a, I'm not going to fucking get that either. <laughs> Nobel Peace Prize, 1939. Albert Einstein. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, that's not correct. Uh, fuck. You know what? You know Christ, what? man. This is a shitty game. Hitler invaded Poland in 1939. <laughs> I got the first one. Yeah, okay. Well, no, we're done with this game. Let's right move on. on. Uh, it was fun. Good job, Sean. All right. What did it sound like? All right. Uh, there's a lot of problems, but a lot of good stuff. So I, I, let's first start with the music. Uh, the music was very classical. Has lots of nice motifs. The stagecoach stagecoach had a nice theme. Uh, it started immediately when John Ford's name came on the screen, <laughs> which I thought was a little bit ostentatious, if you will. Yeah. Put the theme. Right John on. Ford. It's his movie. Let Watch out! His him. dick's coming through. Yeah. He's a, he's a big man. He's a, he's a Big character, apparently. Uh, John Ford, uh, not sound related, but uh, wore an eye patch. Just talking about eye patches. For the hell of it? Kind of. I think he had a problem with one eye and he just decided to wear an eye patch and dark glasses on set or all, all the time. It's badass. He always played music on set. I thought that was really interesting. That's got to be annoying. And it made me think, well, they were doing all ADR, so they didn't really uh -huh. care about dialogue, but it would be annoying as fuck for me. Yeah. Either way, I can see why it helped a lot of characters. John Wayne and a few of, especially the scene at the end where he shot the bad guys, lined up perfectly with the music. Mm. So I was thinking maybe they played a little of the 
the temp track and maybe that they orchestrated to it, but either way, it, it looked really syncopated. The point was that um, the music was classical. It had motifs. Uh, it had a lot of nice references. There was an 1812 reference when they were referencing the army. There was Silent Night, as you guys had to tell me, because my Judaism wouldn't <laughs> let me recognize it immediately. Although I did recognize it kind of. You knew it was familiar. He, he looked at us and he was like, what's that Gentile song you're playing? <laughs> I did not say that. For the Call record, my Shabbos Goy. Did not say that. The uh, there was a nice sad dirge for the death. I forget exactly what this was, but there's a lot of on the nose stuff. You know, Confederate music. Uh, you know, I forget what it was. Maybe it was Lorena or Dixie when we had Confederates come on the screen. But there was a couple gorgeous moments that actually were not tied to motifs. And I want to point out those really amazing moments. And this, but I, and there was actually a lot of composers combined here. So I'll have to name them at the end. But <clears throat> it's like four or five composers. But there was some fantastic stuff when they were contrasting the Confederate nostalgia and Ringo's Western nostalgia. And they both had these absolutely gorgeous violin harmonies. And you should go back and you should listen to them because it's a great use of blending two different styles of harmony and making them work well together and using just simple, simple orchestration, two violins and making them gorgeous and, and making sometimes shitty, drawn out acting a lot better, honestly. I hate to say that because it's not that you shouldn't really do music like that and make it prove shitty acting, but sometimes the truth gotta have a picture at the end of the day it's true uh i also Helps if it's big the one moment i thought was really cool and modern was the storm when they mm. got into the storm or the dust bowl or the snowstorm we couldn't even tell which fun it was yeah. uh there was some fantastic music some strings going <laughs> up and down really beautiful scales distant. i'm still gonna argue that was snowstorm I think it was. It looked like a dust storm to me. Well, it was just cheap fucking snow if it was a snowstorm. Yeah, it looks like a dust storm. But Expositionally, yeah. it was a snowstorm. Exactly. Expositionally, yeah. it was a snowstorm. The conversation preceding it was about <clears throat> going into the cold, snowy weather. Did not look like a patch. You don't go there. Especially afterwards. It, it, we're in, first of all, in New Mexico, there's not a lot of places for snow. But no, there's a high. fair amount of snow, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. I was just in New Mexico. Just there was a up. lot of snow. Mm -hmm. Really? Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm wrong. There's snow in California. In the mountains, I yeah. suppose. Okay. Well, it's all mountains out there, too. <laughs> it's not all mountains in New Mexico. Everything's High a mountain. elevation. How do you think the ground is formed? Mountains get bigger and bigger, then they peak out of the water, and then they get bigger and bigger. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see what else I want to talk about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to cut me off, at least I have something. Fuck. No, I do. I. <laughs> I mean, they had the Mexican trumpets when they arrived at the Mexican outpost, the Native mm -hmm. American music when they had the Apache war signals. Um, but here's the thing. Which you cringe at every time. No, a little bit, a little bit. Here's the thing. I, I want to say I love those trumpets. I think they're gorgeous. I love the sound of it. Some of my favorite stuff in the world is the theme from Fistful of Dollars and Yomorikone's trumpets. Um, it's kitschy. It's it's a little bit stereotypical, but it's I think it's gorgeous. And I wanted to say that. I also loved the Mexican woman's song. She just had a gorgeous voice. That I was loved a really her song. beautiful song. It's a gorgeous song, but it is buying into that stereotype that every Mexican woman is this is this seductress who's, who's a musician who sings to you, who has no other character other than that she's just beautiful and sings to you. She's just a, an object, which is awful again. But Wasn't I, she Apache? No, she wasn't. She was we married were, to the Mexican guy. She was a... She was, Supposed to be an Apache. I'm woman. sorry, I didn't. She looked. That. She looked like a Mexican woman. She played with the and she was singing band. in Spanish yeah. with but a that, mariachi. But that band. was the the wife of the guy that okay. ran that was off. Her. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. And then she I'm was the one. Right. And then right. she told in, in Spanish what she said to them was, uh, like it like, 
uh, that it was time for them to leave or something. I can't remember exactly Vamanos what she muchachos. said. You think, uh, that, not really. Yeah, no. Vayanse, I think yeah. she said. Vaya she, she, you know, there's, there's people with different <laughs> heritage back then. You can have you know, native heritage and really? Spanish heritage. is a lot of mestizo, if you will. Explain misogyny, Joey. Misogyny? Can you say mestizo? Common say phrase. That <laughs> say that anymore? Say that. It's actually a common phrase. Is it? Isn't it like uh, what was it? There's another M word that you're not. It's not PC. That's possible. Mulatto. I don't think that's the word. Leave it to say. Sean to say it so that we don't have to. Well, why did you ask? Yeah. I thought it was part of the <laughs> game. No. Yeah. I, <clears throat> it might not be proper to say. <laughs> Call me. Tell me. So Stagecoach. Uh, yeah. Tweet. Tweet me. Tell me if it's improper to say. Yeah. Let us that's know. That's what they taught me actually in uh, in college. I'll tell you what truth. When we taught, they taught us Latin American history. <laughs> they taught us that word. Either way, I don't know if it's appropriate now. Maybe it's not, and it was appropriate in 2007. I'm just being an asshole, anyways. It's possible. Either way, let's move on to some strings. Um, I love the way they use transitions. There were some great moments and the ability to change transitions, especially from the evil uh, inside the coach when we were talking from the banker to the beauty outside the coach, we went to Buck and Sheriff uh, Curly. It was like quick. It was like eight measures long. And it was just a beautiful moment of, of minor key straight to major key. And it was really a beautiful, simple moment, but it's really difficult to do sometimes to be able to just make uh, something work smoothly like that. And I was just really appreciative of that. And it really also was perfect for the moment because it drawed in the contrast of inside versus outside the stagecoach. Inside, there's all this drama and fighting and war. And outside, it's just two dudes laughing and fucking around in a beautiful open space. You know, we all want to be Buck. I think that's the that's the answer. Everybody wants to be Buck. Um, what else can I say? Every time we saw the U.S. Cavalry, there was some nice, beautiful trumpet accents. I love that, and it was you know, John Ford loves him some patriotism. That was clear. Um, at the at the end, we did have a glissando. We did have some rising strings to build tension. I know you guys hate me saying it, but hey, it, we got to hear about it. If yeah. it's, if it, it's if it happens in a movie, we have to mention yeah. it. Yeah, well, our corner. But I want to move on to a more important thing, and that's the silence. There's a lot of moments of silence. And originally, I thought it was very sparse, and it bothered me. Hmm. I thought, there needs to be more music here. But actually, towards the end, I really liked them. And I hmm. think maybe it's just simply, I'm now more drawn in with the characters. I understand them more. I appreciate them more. I can just sit with them more. Yeah, yeah. And I know the cat. And each moment of the story is more important and dramatic, so I'm cool with sitting in silence. Where at the, be <laughs> where at the beginning, I'm like, I'm bored. I want, I, what's, what are we doing here? I need something to tr keep, keep this going. So it might be just he needs to save those silent moments till the end. He kind of just, I don't know. It was too many in the beginning and I was bored. But, just kind of reminded me of that moment in Revenge of the Nerds when they try and have the party at first and everyone's just kind of <laughs> sitting around staring at each other and then someone comes in and puts on some music and Booger brings out the joint and like yeah. everyone just kind of loosens up and like we kind of like start to live with these people. You know, I think that, you know, music is one of those things where like if you are just sitting around in silence with people, there is like just an awkwardness, especially are you if you don't ready know them. for the sex, girls? <laughs> exactly, yes. And, and he did use it very well and in, in to create awkwardness. It, I mean, yeah. it's not Curb Your Enthusiasm cringy stuff, mm -hmm. but it is it is awkward, especially between the banker whenever he talks to anyone, or he, or even sometimes when they mention alcoholism and the seriousness of that kind of stuff. There were or, the, the and the shared looks between uh, the Confederate feller and the uh, and mm -hmm. the, that stuck up one. Yeah, yeah, Mrs. Mallory. Mm -hmm. 
in yeah. the the weird moment where he's Some really about nice to kill her. Moments and, of silence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought there was a great moment, the dinner scene, when Mrs. Mallory, dis- or basically the Confederate dude tells Mrs. Mallory to stand up and go sit on the other side of the table. Mm. Uh, and then we only have silence, and then all of a sudden all we hear is Mrs. Mallory with her fork and knife, mm-hmm. you know, getting her stuff ready. Uh, and it was uh, drawn out and long, and it was fairly good foley you know i'm i'm going to be a little critical of the foley and the effects in a second but i think it was really it broke up the tension well and it was draw attention to the silence and the awkwardness of the moment which was you know it was cool it was it was like john ford can also direct a fucking dinner scene really well and draw the silence just like he can do the craziest fucking stunt so you know even in this early movie you could see his crazy range just with that those moments okay um what else can i say this movie lacks background sound it needs more mm. background sound. It's not a classical Western with your background sound. We need more coyotes. We need more crickets. We need more wind. We need wind. more puppet coyotes? God, thank you. <laughs> We're about to get to there. That was fantastic. <laughs> the sound effects and the wolf. The wolf, okay. The wolf was a simple transition, I guess. Uh, you know, just to show it's nighttime. Mm-hmm. But the sound of the wolf, does anyone want to try to attempt it? It was. <clears throat> Tim, can we really go? make that? Like, it, it was. I don't think a human. I think maybe a human like, did a make wolf, that. A wolf, like you know, ow. Oh no, that's but not, no, that no, was no. way better. That's that's a that's a like a coyote or a wolf yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. What we had was more of a. Like he was like a it, dying donkey. It was re- It was so sharp. It it was just like it, it was. There was no attack or decay. It was just like holy fucking shit. I didn't go back and verify, but my post-rendering assumption is that it was mixed with the sound of a baby crying. There it is. And that we were supposed to I want to talk about kind that. of have, that was that transition where we didn't know that the the rich girl was pregnant and she was giving birth and that was the moment that the baby was born. Well, that so was we were trash here. garbage is what the fuck it was. <laughs> Here's my theory. Okay, Sean hit it on the nail on the head here. Uh, I think that the sound guys were given the script and later on in the script, do you remember what Buck says? He says, oh, it sounded like, just like a baby. And they were given the script and they're like, wait a minute, we have to make a sound that they all hear that sounds just like a baby, but it's a wolf. Yeah. So they were like, what do we do? We, we mix a baby and a wolf? Do we pitch the wolf up and slow it down? Like, what do they do? So I think they did take a little- 20% 20% baby yeah. and threw it And in there's there. a lesson well, here think- for the young filmmakers. Not every piece of coal mined is a diamond. <laughs> you know, well, some ideas are just fucking bad. But I, I, <laughs> I, I am contending that it is more intentional on John Ford's part than it is a fix in the sound department. Interesting. So I think that that line was always intended to be like, this is because it's right before that moment that we reveal the baby. So I think it's that like that lead up like, hey, oh, they were all experiencing yeah. this and like that, you know, they were actually hearing a baby cry. It's, so it, the, the right. right sound should have been wolf and baby when, at the same time. When but, I got that to that moment, Sean, I thought that's a cool moment of subjective sound. And mm-hmm. that's actually really interesting. But <laughs> here's the thing. I laughed. Yeah. yeah. No, no. See, and we, we all laughed. But I laughed it at was, the fucking animatronic wolf. I well, laughed at I the laughed puppet. At both. I laughed it at both. Uh, it was all bad. Yeah, that's true. And it wasn't that's animatronic true. either. No, no, it was it like somebody off screen right jerking the head of the yeah, thing. It, it, it reminded was, me of- uh, It was uh, a taxidermy with an arm in it. Well, like, it reminded me of New Hope. 
like when they've got the the stormtroopers mm. on the fucking uh, what I don't know the fucking bug elephant creatures. Oh yeah, where, yeah. The, yeah. The, um, In the original, they just had like the the yoke on it, and they mm. just would pull on it to make the head move. Yeah. Bad puppet work. It was, yeah. They could have used some some Henson in that department. Yeah, they could have done anything. You know, just get a fucking coyote for like ten minutes. You know how expensive it is to get a coyote wrangler in the studio. They did not have <laughs> wranglers on this picture. If they had wranglers on this picture, nope. Nope. we would not have been watching some of this shit happen oh, to horses. Jesus, man. Yeah, they could, they could afford a one coyote. Yeah, you know that's yeah. fair. You know, yeah, that's a second unit shot. Go out and find a coyote. Do that Honestly, because they shot they shot a lot of this uh, they shot a lot of this film in uh, uh, the Monument Valley in mm. Arizona. I love Monument Valley. Have you ever been there? Uh, nope. If I have, I was there and I didn't know it. So it wasn't monumental. Not to me. Mm. John Ford's obsessed with Monument Valley. Yeah. Uh, he shoots almost all of his movies there, or, or almost all of his westerns yeah. there for sure. The Searchers famously has its last shot there, and I think when it maybe is that that fill shot. your hands thing. <laughs> Where uh, he says, fill your hands. Fill your hands. No, 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 that's true grit. Never mind. My bad. Jesus. I'm out. Wow. All right. Thank God he's only a guest. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple more of the sound effects I did not like. I did not like the telegraph. The telegraph mm. sounded like coconuts. Okay. <laughs> Stop that. Stop that bad stuff. Okay. You don't have to do it. Like with a fucking coconut. Just you find a telegraph and record the telegraph. Is it that hard? I guess yeah. it is that hard. Where are you going to get a I telegraph? That's hard in 1939, I understand. <laughs> okay. Uh, the horses sounded bad too, honestly. A lot of the horses were not good sound. It was very coconutty. Just too coconutty. It sounds hey, like man. Monty Python. Coconuts are cheap. All right. Um, the dialogue. There was a couple moments, we know, all noticed it, where a couple, the woman had a very thick Irish accent, and then they cut away, and then mm -hmm. we had an off-screen dialogue moment where she said... <laughs> and we could not understand a word it was washed out it was horrible this is uh, unforgivable yeah, it's yeah. off-screen dialogue just fix that shit put the woman next to a microphone what's what's the deal maybe it was worse if she was closer to the microphone <laughs> he just like didn't he got a clean to... take of it and he's like jesus you're a dumpster fire lady come stand in the corner <laughs> Did he not want us to understand the words that that he wrote on? The it wasn't that important. No, I, it wasn't. Yeah, it was just a. It was you a know, throwaway. Yeah, line. go to the next town sort of thing. It but. is, and I think that kind of stuff is unforgivable nowadays. You cannot do that. People go, "What the fuck did you say?" People yeah. get upset. People will burn down the fucking movie theater. Mm. They can't. You can't do that stuff. And that stuff was all in old movies all yeah. the time. And people would interrupt each other. People would have dialogue that was unclear. It's a off screen. Who cares? Just whatever. And you're not supposed to understand it. And I love that, honestly. I think it's so much more realistic because in life that you happens- You don't always catch everything. You don't mm -hmm. catch everything. You got to get the gist of things. You got to get the feeling of something. And sometimes that's more important than overanalyzing each word of dialogue. So I, I know- Take it was that, writers. I was. I know it was unintentional, probably, the echo, the craziness of it. But that was, uh, it was interesting. I don't know. It led, it led to that moment of clarity for me. Okay. One more moment of clarity for me. I loved how- when uh, Buck, big moron, 
walks out of scenes Uncle and has Buck. has a beautiful like ending line. He's got his uh, his last word. He always has mm. the last word in there. And he kind of fits perfectly because he always does it right as he leaves a shot. <laughs> so he he kind of lands right in the hallway. So his natural reverb echoes around. So when he goes, oh, that's it. And it just echoes. And that's the end of the take and echoes into the next shot. It's such a beautiful, natural, um, what's it called? Uh, L cut. Hmm. They're the same thing. One goes one way, one goes the other. You know what I'm trying to say? The echo echoes into the next shot. And it's natural, but it, you know, it happens to be perfectly because he's a big dude and he's got this crazy loud voice with his weird frequencies, and he walks right into a hallway and then they cut. Mm. Just works. Okay, whatever. (laughs) I'm just trying to remember which sequence you're referencing. He walks out of the hallway, I think, in the scene where they're in like the bed and breakfast when they're getting dinner. Oh, the first place that they they stop. The first place they stop. Oh, okay, never mind. One more thing I want to say. Tape hiss. How do you guys feel about the tape hiss in the background? I actually enjoy it. Yeah. It makes me feel safe. It's, um, to me, it's like uh, vinyl hiss. Like, you mm-hmm. know, it is what it is. Yeah, it's like Do you hear it at first, then it pop. goes away? Yeah, yeah. That, that's kind of the deal I for me. I always hear it. I always notice it, but I, I, I like it. Uh, it, it that comforting me, white noise. Well, I grew up watching a lot of old, old films with mm-hmm. my ma. And a lot of them, like my mom didn't have great taste in film. So some of the movies that we would watch were really fucking shitty. And VHS copies. Um, and, and their yeah. VHS, yeah, yeah. And so there would just be like a lot of that tape hiss. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I guess it has like a subjective warmth to me. Yep. There. Like projector home. It's just kind of warm. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I find that I enjoy it. Um, I also... Uh, like it really in this particular film the the tape hiss highlighted a lot of the tension that we were supposed mm-hmm. to be feeling in any of the quieter moments because yeah. the only time you'd really hear the tape hiss is when everything is silent and that's when you're you know all the moments in this film where silence was used it was used as a a, a, a like as a way to heighten tension in my mm-hmm. you know amateur opinion um <laughs> i agree yeah and so uh it, it, yeah i thought it was i, I thought it was nice i i, I kind of noted that right as i was listening to it because i normally don't like it but i wrote down i am growing to love the tape hiss <laughs> and i also wrote how hipster of me yeah <laughs> very much so uh so i don't know I, I don't know how i feel about that I, but I, I usually you know i'm not that kind of person i'm 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 mr clean i i want a beautiful pristine perfect sound yeah i think from now on you should take your eight channel recorder and mix it down to a uh, two channel stereo onto a nagra i do have that i'm not I, fixing that thing i learned <laughs> on <a> nagra <laughs> yeah that was the first uh, well yeah either way gentlemen are you ready to guess the gross Oh, oh my god oh my god oh, of course god. he hit the oh wrong god. one. Oh god <laughs> of course he did oh, i can't do anything right at least you're able to stop what it. was that even oh my god that was a mixture of two drops definitely yeah. the <laughs> drop. yeah i tried to clap and i got this thing still labeled wrong and i keep forgetting to label it right but anyway i don't know if you're going to be able to edit all my hacking and coughing no i'm not going it's... to do any of that we need you, a cough button you people can enjoy all of tim's yeah everybody uh, can hear the fact that i've been sleeping with my windows open like a fucking idiot right on it is hot well yeah i just seasonably i also like the i like to listen to the city yeah fuck all you with your bomb cyclone we are sweating here and turning on our ac um gentlemen 
Some legends will never be forgotten. Some wrongs can never be forgiven. 1992, directed by Mr. Clint Eastwood, Unforgiven. Hmm. Wait, remember we're just doing U.S. gross? Yeah, yeah. Domestic gross. 1992. Oh, I'm guessing the domestic gross of Unforgiven. Of Unforgiven, yeah. Clint Eastwood's uh, 1992 uh, Unforgiven. I'm going to say 60. 60 million. 49. 49 million. You gentlemen have way too little faith in Mr. Eastwood. Uh, we have hey, Mr. Eastwood. Uh, 101.15 million. Yowza. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, what'd you say? 101. Oh, 101. Yep. Bottled and Bond, that film. <laughs> People love their westerns. They love their Eastwood. Uh, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Vengeance. 2012, directed by Quentin Tarantino. Django Unchained. What is the total domestic gross? 175. Django Unchained. 175, says Tim. One, one forty. One forty says Joey. Uh, actually, you guys are both close. It's one sixty-two point eight. That would be a Tim. Boom. Boom, indeed. Uh, let's see here. Finally got one. Yes. Punishment <laughs> comes one way or another. Don't say that. <laughs> Directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. Cohen. 2010's True Grit. I really like this movie. I didn't see it. It's a good one. It is really good. It's got the Matthew Damon in it. it you quoted the original one mm. by accident. Well, I've <laughs> seen bits and pieces of the original one. Mm. That one in particular. My dad likes that movie. How it's much good? do you think this one made? So this one made uh, 2010. 110. Sorry, I didn't mean to put that number in your head. But 110 you said? Yeah. Okay. 115, 110. 115, 110. Uh, you got to choose one. 90? 90? Well, Joey, you are way off. $171 million. Jeez Louise. People, stop going to these fucking remakes. Quit giving I them money. I keep forgetting the modern movies make a lot more <laughs> if money. If you're listening to this, stop going to remakes. Quit it. All right. So, sequels two. Only go to originals. No one comes up here without a damned good reason. Again, Mr. Quentin Tarantino, 2015, Hateful Eight. What did you think of that one, Joey? I thought it was okay. I loved it. I thought it was lit like a Disney movie. It was fucking annoying. Oh, see, I went, <laughs> I went and saw it in like the 70 millimeter and like, yeah. you know, paid 18 fucking dollars right to on. sit in this chair. Uh, but I got like the overture and the, and the, the, uh, the whole the, meal, the whole, the whole kit and caboodle with it. And I thought it was wonderful. The, mm. I think the overture, it, it was like, it was definitely made to be seen like that. Cause mm. I tried watching it again. Just the movie. Uh, just the movie. Yeah. And I was like, man, this thing sucks. Yep. But, uh. With with the overture and with the you know the like being in an art house theater with the intermission, it was man. I had a lot of I had a lot of fun watching mm. that movie. The first you can time. still see it actually at the New Beverly. It still shows the film. Ever, like, it's almost like every. No, <laughs> you don't want to go. Never. I'll never see that movie again. I kind of want to go see it. You, you just... I'll go with you. <laughs> that was easy. Yeah. Uh, so, gentlemen, how much did it make? Uh, 
2015's The Hateful Eight. $205 million. $205 million, says Tim. $183. You motherfuckers are way the fuck off. That one came in at $54 million. Wow. Joey is closer, but you guys are both off by wow. orders of magnitude. It only made $54 million bucks. Yeah, <laughs> uh, domestic. Was that like a loss? Um, probably. What was the budget? Let's see. Because they shot. They how sh- did Django make so much more? They shot that on seven. Well, I mean, come on. Uh, production Django budget was, was $44 million. So oh. just barely a $10 million fucking profit. <laughs> Fuck out of here. Well, I guess they made everybody else spend the money because all these theaters had to get yeah, 70 yeah. millimeter projectors to there were only so many theaters it could be shown in mm-hmm. it was that yeah. was that was uh, uh I, I saw it at the music box in chicago oh, totally um and the the music box had to buy new projectors for <laughs> that particular screening and that was yeah. part of why the ticket was so expensive mm-hmm. when you bought the ticket it's like you know hey you're helping to pay for these new projectors that are gonna uh extend that no one else theater. is ever gonna use but have you ever been to the music box uh, a long time ago. Oh, that's a great thing. I've, well, I've been to Chicago in a long ass fucking time, but yeah. I need to go back to Chicago. Uh, you don't need to. No one uh, needs to. <laughs> no, there's a great taco place. That's no. true. Okay. Tacos are way better. It's over in diversity. Mm. diversity. Tacos are better in Chicago than in Los LA? Angeles? Yeah. Yes. This is a sacrilege. Los Tres Ponchos on mm. diversity and uh, Lincoln Avenue <laughs> in Chicago. Fucking great. Are, we get, are you getting a kickback for that plug? No. All right, on. Maybe I will. I don't know. I'll hit him up next time I'm in Chicago. Hey, guys. Talk All right, gentlemen. Kind of podcast. Can I have a free taco? Justice is coming. We have uh, 1993 by George P. Cosmatos Tombstone. Oh, God. That's my favorite Western. It's mm. great. It really is. Also, Kurt Russell directed that fucking movie. Basically, Let's be yeah. Real. yeah. Um, George P. Cosmatos. Yeah, whatever. What do you think, Tim? Uh, what do I think? Oh, I, should, I should go first. I feel like you're going first. All the yeah, time. yeah, yeah. You go. Uh, I'm going to say. Tombstone. I'm going to say uh, fifty-six. Fifty-six million dollars says no, Joey. No, no, that movie was like a smash hit because uh, it was it was star-studded as all hell. Really? Yeah, Bill Paxton was big back then. Sam Elliott was hot shit. Uh, you know, Kurt that. Russell. They had Val Kilmer. Um, who, who's the fellow that played Curly Bill? Uh, Tim Curry. No. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> uh, no, either What's way. What's your guess? Uh, 115. Whatever, you're wrong. It was $56 million. Charlie. Get He's the right. fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, he was Was he right, right on, on the money? Yeah, I mean, it's 56.5. I mean, if you Only want to get into 50, it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Man, a lot of preamble for me to just be fucking wrong. <laughs> For you to have no chance whatsoever. <laughs> Those of you playing along have been laughing at him for a few minutes. Uh, so, uh, last one on the list, gentlemen. Uh, inside everyone is a frontier waiting to be discovered. Directed by Mr. Kevin Costner. We have 1990s Dances, Dances with, with Wolves. Um, Total $71 million. Dollars. $71 million, says Tim Snow. $75. $75 million trying to price his right away into um, 
This is cooler. Again, you guys are off by about an order of magnitude. Uh, $184 million. What the fuck? <laughs> Nobody saw Tombstone, but people saw that movie? Everyone saw Dances with Wolves. Fuck Dances Wait, with what did Wolves. Tombstone get? Uh, tombs- 56, 56 million bucks. Yeah, you were right on. Wow, I was right on. <laughs> yeah. And how much did uh, Dances with 170? 184. $184 million goddamn dollars to yeah. see Kevin Costner's ass. Yeah. Yeah. For shame. For shame, <laughs> American audience. Well, gentlemen, that has been guessed that gross. Oh, my sound effects don't That's work. fine. Don't play that. <laughs> you don't want it. Man, you botched the shit oh, out of go. that both ends. God damn it. Fine. <laughs> yeah, right. I tried to fix one end and screw the other. That's how things work. So what are we doing now? Sean, we're going to ask you. Oh, fuck. Unfortunately, so, uh, what did this movie look like? Yeah, it looked like shit. Um, How dare you? <laughs> it kind of did. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, we've got a lot of like the studio shit going on. So, we've got a lot of rear projection with like a stagecoach and some fans and just kind of bouncing people in front of a rear projection. And then we kind of got cut to a side shot of that rear projection. And then we cut to inside with some rear projection. And then all of a sudden we cut to like a really cool handheld shot that's like dirty and gritty and hanging off of the stagecoach as we're like running down the middle of the valley. And then we're back into the studio with a rear projection and some fans and weird. Like some of those shots, they look like really, really cool, but they just are completely out of place in the rest of this movie. The rest of this movie feels like Casablanca and very fucking stage and very, uh, you know, sort of, uh, um, I don't know. Have we decided on a word for that style of acting where everyone is just like vaudevillian to the back of the stage, like theater acting? Yeah. Kabuki? <laughs> Basically. Yeah, yeah. Theater. Yeah. Everyone is doing the theater acting and everyone is like uh, very, very sort of in that Hollywood movie sort of feel. And it never really gets gritty except for the moments that it does get gritty. And it's a very weird jump. Um, Well, I I feel like this movie was kind of probably a a bit of a growing pain for mm -hmm. the Western. Yeah. You know, Um, because it was, you know, John Ford feeling out these you know, gritty sort of uh, more bringing you in kind of, I'm, I'm, keep going. Yeah. It definitely feels like this, like, yeah, I'm going to make this studio movie, but while they're paying me, I'm going to try this shit over here and see if it works and try and throw it in. I'm going to experiment with this weird camera shot I've been thinking about and just throw it in and see if I can get them to pay for it sort of thing. Like, you know, a lot of these days you would get that all out of your system in music videos and commercials. But I think back then it was more like, you know, just make a thousand Westerns and then a couple of them you fuck around. It did seem like this was a testing ground. Definitely yeah. for, we, we said earlier for John Wayne in general, but also for some of these shots, mm-hmm. this, this grittier style. That both the clearly, Giants, John Ford, John Wayne, they both yeah, are testing this. They wanted to do Actually, something. Yeah, this entire that, movie feels like a screen test. <laughs> There's a lot. Go ahead. No, you're right. I mean, and it just in the the look of it seems that way too. It seems like they threw in these shots to look like they were. Hey, look what we can do with mm-hmm. this really cool, ca- you know, camera movement and these crazy stunts, and we can put a camera on top of the stagecoach as we go through the water. So I mean, there was a lot of showy offy kind of. This is for my real kind of shots. Yeah. Um, which again reflected his. I guess he was trying to impress the studios, I'm assuming, because he wanted a series of films. Yeah. Um, and I, it's yeah, unfortunately, I'm not familiar enough with his later works to know if like 
that actually developed into the style or but if it's so interesting because he hated he's notoriously hated the studio executives he mm. has there's a couple of stories where he brought studio executive, executives onto the set and berated them in front of everyone and said you know this is the last time you're going to see this guy ever you know mm. kicked him off the set or something like that which is kind of cool uh but this is also right before the war and he's right about to sign up uh mm. he you know he joined the army i think next year or the year after uh and he's going right to midway literally to the island of midway and shooting the Battle of Midway. Mm. You know, he goes to D-Day and shoots D-Day. So uh, it's pretty crazy. I, and I don't know what, what he, what if he was thinking about the future here or he was just trying shit to try shit. But it did feel that way, I think, in many ways, not just the cinematography. Yeah, yeah. Um, other than that, I mean, everything was pretty standard. We talked about the uh, the opening dolly shot on uh, on the Duke there. Um, yeah, I mean, a second take guys, <laughs> like it was a really, you know, it's a well-constructed shot. It is a good opening shot for that type of character, but the focus is just way off and it, it's very, it, 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 it well, goes against the entire principle of that shot for it not to be perfect. I'm going to be honest. I know this is a, again, one layman's opinion, mm -hmm. but it seemed to me that it was in focus at first. It got horribly out of focus mm -hmm. as they moved, and then it got back into focus, yeah. which obviously is a mistake technically, but it's kind of, I don't know, it, it is realistic in some ways. That's why we consider it usable. So in most of the time when you're you know working on dolly shots, you have to nail the beginning and you have to nail the end. In the middle, there's motion blur. So everything's moving. Even if you freeze on one individual frame, things are going to be a little bit blurry because things are moving. So you do have a little bit of forgiveness in the middle. The problem is this was way the fuck out. So it wasn't in that forgiveness area. This was like a bad fucking shot. So, you know, you have a little bit of leeway in there in those midpoints and they did nail the beginning and the end, but that middle is, you know, there's, again, there's some leeway, but they were way outside of any well, threshold I would consider uh, acceptable. I, I will give you this. Well, I'll give the movie this rather. Uh, I think that it represented to me the point of view of, uh, you know, Dallas or someone, you know, in the stagecoach, a woman or someone, or even just a man being blinded by this, by John Wayne, his, his heroism, his, his, you know, his masculinity, if you will. So it's like, you know, it's going to get blurry. And then all of a sudden he comes into focus as more of a drastic reveal. You're so, arguing that was intentional? No, I'm arguing that it works. For, I'm arguing he's that just, it, he's grasping at straws. Really. I don't know. I'm arguing that it works for me. That it That's might all. be okay. Yeah. And it seems like it's a classic shot. And like, I see it a lot. And I think it works for a lot of people. Uh, I think if you started in the middle of that shot, started out of focus and came into focus, I think that would have a little bit more usability in my mind. It just but, seemed really clunky. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, like, I just seeing students operate dollies all day, like, that's a student shot to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, that is a amateur mistake of just not nailing focus. And focus is a very hard thing to nail, especially on a moving shot like that. Like, People don't really understand that it's not just turning the dial at the same speed as the dolly. Depending on how close or how far away the lens is, the speed at which you turn the focus is different. So if you don't mark enough places on the lens, if you only mark the beginning and the end, it is going to be off in the middle because your pace and speed is not going to match the dynamics of the lens movement. So it is, it's something that like you literally just have to practice and practice in order to make it work. And they were probably just in too much of a hurry that day. How about the uh, the shots for the stunts? What do you think about that? 
How, how, just putting putting it on a car. Yeah, I mean, as I said earlier, it's like that Jackie Chan school of stunt shots. So the Jackie Chan idea basically is that you do everything in the wide. You don't go into these close ups and cheat everything and do like little uh, little pieces of the stunt. You do it in the wide and you see the whole stunt. You see the face of the main character doing that and you see everything that's happening. And to me, that works for action and that works for comedy. Both both genres really need to play in those wides. When you go way tight and close, it feels cheap. It feels like those Transformer movies or the big Marvel movies where like they're in too much costume to actually be able to really pull off any of these stunts. So you just do a lot of really quick cuts that makes it feel like they're doing something. And when you put that together, it kind of achieved the same thing, but just sitting back and let that shit actually happen in a nice wide shot. There's really no substitute for it. Uh, I it mean, was really all inspiring, man. Yeah. Yakima. Well done, Yakima. <laughs> this dude's a legend. Uh, anyways, yeah, I mean, just to just to do that stuff, just to, for a movie. I mean, risking your life like that is crazy. Um, all of those stunt, uh, you know, the riders, the, yeah. the, the, the Apache, those guys falling off horses constantly. You know, you risk breaking your neck anytime, right? Like, I'm uh, well, yeah. They, I'm. Seemed to me that like. Yeah, the, well, the, the new Quentin Tarantino fall. movie is going to cover all of this, but um, oh, okay. <laughs> Once Upon a Time in the West or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right. um, but yeah, the uh, I mean, yeah, stunt people are the unsung heroes of Hollywood and westerns, very specifically. Like the amount of abuse that they put their bodies through is just unprecedented. Like a lot of people give credit to people like. Um, uh, uh, Charlie Chaplin and um, Buster Keaton and the th uh, the Three Stooges and things like that. And you hear the stories about how they broke a rib and continued on. Fucking, uh, there's a story about uh, Gene Kelly was basically dying when he did that classic singing and singing in the rain when he's like dancing in the rain. Like he was like on his deathbed when he dragged his ass to set and fucking did this amazing scene. So you often hear about these actors that do that, but you never hear about the stunt people. And the stunt people are fucking workaday, you know, just grinding guys that they don't even have the luxury or the option of not showing up tomorrow. If they don't show up tomorrow, it's like a grip not showing up tomorrow and you don't get fucking paid. So especially at that time when there wasn't a whole lot of like medical or OSHA or any sort of, you know, uh, I don't even know if the union system had come into play too much then. Um, it is, you know, it, you either toughen up and show up with a broken leg or you don't feed your kids that week. So yeah, those guys are fucking heroes and I am very excited to see the new Tarantino movie. Yeah. It <laughs> turns out the new Tarantino movie is about stuntmen. Yeah. Yeah, I did. No, oh, I mean, like know? that that's me having that realization oh, right. out loud. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's about Westerns <clears throat> being made in Hollywood and Brad Pitt is what uh, DiCaprio stuntman. So there's like a lot of interplay there. Oh, fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, so, sorry, one more question. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Uh, lighting wise. Yeah. Uh, you guys mentioned some of the unnaturalness of the lighting. <laughs> I kind of liked the lighting. I actually thought some of these shots were kind of well blocked. Mm -hmm. I thought they were kind of pretty, even just some of the wider establishing shots inside a lot. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily the stagecoach, but like when they were in the buildings and that kind of the stops along the way. So, there's some just this, gorgeous uh, moments. There. Yeah. Lighting wise, this was on. 
uh, kind of on the line for me. So I talked a little bit earlier about my despising of Tarantino's Hateful Eight because the lighting feels like a Disney movie. Everything is very bright and very sort of like overly lit. It just kind of feels happy and joyous all around us. Then you have like the way other side of, uh, you know, almost candlelit and everything is completely dark. This is kind of that middle ground where it still feels a little almost sitcom-y and it is unnatural in that it is certainly not what it would have felt like to be in a, a saloon at that time without having electricity. So, you know, if everything in that room is lit by candles and oil lamps right. and shit, that's not what that room is going to look like. For something like that, you need to go look at like Barry Lyndon or The Favorite or shit like that, where things are like more, more, we'll say, I don't want to say natural or normal, but more like uh, time period um, uh, accurate as far as the lighting is concerned. This was not a, not time period accurate at all, but it was well lit for, you know, the type of movie that it was. Period correct. It was certainly wasn't period correct, but yeah, it was uh, um, well lit for the mood, I guess, that we were going for, which wasn't totally serious and it wasn't comedy, but there were elements of both. Um, we have John Wayne that is really the gravitas of the movie. And then we have Uncle Buck, who is like the constant comic relief. So there is like this sort of, this, the movie itself is written on that sort of line between real serious and comedy. And I think the lighting kind of plays that line as well. So it, it works in the context. Uh, I wouldn't say it's masterful or anything. It's very sort of flat and sort of common and bright everywhere. But, you know, it works. I think it's just, it's, it's just, I think you're right. It's part of that earlier style where just you have to light to show everything. Yeah. There uh, were a few moments that I got really excited when they started to play with some shadows and then it felt like they just kind of dropped the ball. Like yeah. people would like walk in, walk down a hallway and they like walk into a uh, yeah, room I and there'd be some too. shadows on the wall and it looked like something cool was going to happen with the shadows. Mm -hmm. And then they just cut into the room. Like it was nothing. He's very good with hallways. Mm. He's very good with depth yeah, clearly yeah. of shots. Uh, you could tell. You're right. I noticed that when someone was stepped into the hallway and stepped down. I'm like, oh, this is like a noir film we're yeah, watching yeah. now. It's like, this is really interesting. Almost like uh, that scene in Casablanca where we're like just looking at the shadows and the interplay and we don't actually see them. That was kind of cool. Whereas like this, mm. they they alluded to that. They almost got it there and yeah. then they didn't like pay it off like it really right. could have been. Yeah, I think you're right. It just it, It's not that kind of movie. Yeah, yeah. He didn't really want to do it. But yeah, and, and that's it, that those cool little moments start to then feel like accidents because they're not paid off. It's right. like, you know, that shadow, they just cut there they left the cut too long and they ended up with that shadow and yeah i don't know yeah again experiment maybe just yeah on uh midnight or wrong but just out of place yeah okay um anything else you guys want to bring up there um any errata or uh errata i got a yeah. lot of stuff actually i, I still want to bring right up. on yeah i talked about the root the wolf um Oh, um, totally errata. Uh, I made uh, you guys go back and watch it in the beginning of the movie when they're doing the- um, Oh, the batteries. The Morse code. Bag yeah. Dead batteries. Yeah, the, uh, oh, I yeah. was just um, delighted to see a Baghdad battery pack uh, powering that, um, uh, the- Telegraph? Telegraph machine. Telegraph machine. I thought it was yeah. jars of jam. <laughs> I thought it was coffee. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, like from the wide shot, like the first time we looked at it, I just thought it was like, you know, storage of foods or whatever. And then when it got closer, there was like a quick shot, which is why I made you guys go back and watch it. But yeah, you could definitely see that it was the, the old school battery array to power that system. 
which is just kind of something like you see a telegraph machine in movies all the time, but you never see a power source. You know, you never see that that extra little touch there, which I, I just thought was cool. Um, I wanted to talk about some of the more serious issues. Sorry, this is going to be Jeez, awkward man. about this movie because just there's some serious batteries. issues. Sex workers and how we treat them. Mm -hmm. Alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We just need to talk about alcoholism. Let, or, or which one you want to dive into first? Because we're going to talk about both, I guess. I like sex. Let's talk about the sex workers and how they treated uh, Dallas. Mm -hmm. She was passed over a lot. She wasn't even asked about whether she wanted to continue on. She was treated as inhuman or yeah, she was less a dehumanization. Than absolutely untouchable to yeah, yeah. every character except for John Wayne. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, do you think that they were trying to say something clearly or were they just like... Uh, Is that just the style of the time? <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I think obviously they were trying to like, because the hero was the one that was saving her, there is an intent there to redeem the, uh, the lower of the character. Playing up the damsel. And he yeah. wanted to marry her too. Not yeah, just exactly. Help yeah. her out. You know? he, yeah. uh, he wanted to, you know, turn her into, well, he didn't even I want to like change nowhere. her life really. He did. I mean, and this is why it's obviously a little bit sexist, but you know, it's, it's, I want to make you a kept woman. Uh, I thought this was very interesting symbolism with the hat. Uh, we always had um, Mrs. Mallory. Is that her name, Mrs. Mallory? Yeah. Always wearing a hat pretty much. Very, you know, proper and prim with her lace. And then we had the other Dallas on contrast with, you know, the, the harsh makeup and the beautiful hair, you know, all done up like yeah. that and showing off. So, and then, and then at the end, when she decides to go off with John Wayne, she does have that new hat that she puts on. So well, she actually, uh, when she enters frame, she's got one of those little hats. Yeah, I think that's right. I forgot. She does. She's got a little hat in the town. Yeah, I'm not sure about she's your hat theory. Out. I'd have to go back I'm and sure. study everything. But. Uh, but I think that it's kind of just part of the getup, I suppose. And, yeah. and again, it, it's just it completely And she's wearing like general. slightly more revealing clothing. Yeah. And she's got plaid and everybody knows that, you know, if they're wearing plaid. And she's the uh, one that they, they whistle at be at the glad. beginning. So when they're all loading into the stagecoach, she's the one that when she puts her leg up, a little bit of her gam shows and everyone oh, starts yeah. to whistle. And then she lifts it up a little further and gives them a little like wiggle and then continues on into the stagecoach. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. So they're, you know, they, they don't necessarily directly tell you that she's a whore until the end, but they do allude to her. Uh, yeah. illicit behavior or uh, past yeah, yeah. loose morals uh, whatever yeah yeah I, I just think it's a little strange um, film certainly doesn't do much for the autonomy of women no I mean so. we, we can go on and on it seems to be a theme in these movies it's just the time period I'm yeah, I mean, well, we, yeah <laughs> that's the that's the thing the only three-dimensional characters in this movie were white men and even then, they were barely three-dimensional. Yeah, who was even the Ringo was not character. really three-dimensional. What? Who were the three-dimensional characters? Okay, uh, the only the only characters who were human beings. Right, right like, but who who are you? Like, I'm saying, no one. There is no three-dimensional character. Who who do you think was human in that movie? Uh, that's a Dallas is the only. The closest, maybe, but she's an archetype at best. I yeah, mean, every every breaks an down. And she and she gets res resolution, and uh, I mean, is the most backstory we get from her is that she's a whore, and we get to see her. Uh, it's still not. It's the most backstory of any character. We don't see Ringo's yeah. backstory. Uh, Ringo's backstory: his dad and his brother were killed. I right, mean, we hear about it. We don't even see. Right, right, we get yeah. to see her house. I guess, but I don't know that that makes her human. 
listen, well, I'm stretching here because yeah. no character is yeah. three-dimensional. I, I yeah. said this earlier, everyone is two-dimensional at best. Yeah. And then otherwise they're a racial archetype. Kind of, for the most part. Truth. Um, I want to talk about alcoholism. Okay. Mm. John Ford uh, had a problem with alcoholism. Uh, what he wouldn't refuse to drink on set. But afterwards, when he left, when he's wrapped a picture, he would go on these week-long benders and he would just kind of like get wrapped up in his- in He wouldn't his, drink the entire time of shooting? Right. And then he would like go on crazy binge drinking hmm. benders for like weeks oh, at a time. I didn't know that. Um, I didn't know that. I was just reading about it. And um, and it made me think of, he's kind of the, the doctor. He's, yeah. he's that, that is his proxy, I think. In Sober this up when you have to and then yeah. fucking go back to it. Has those like moments of just embarrassing, like, oh my God, I need to, I need to show up for this. Yeah. Um, the coffee blacker, hotter. Yeah. I was disappointed that he went back to alcohol. I thought that he would have been a changed man. I think he went back to it in moderation. After that moment, You're he, right. was, he was I'll never as out of control yeah. as he was before. Because right. he was he just an absolute one. buffoon before, yeah. Um, and then that, yeah, that was his last- just like, one. And that was the last line of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think what he actually said was, I think this is the start of a very real friendship. <laughs> I was thinking that same thing, <laughs> that whole ending there. It definitely felt like that same as Casablanca yeah, there. Yeah. Um, but I would argue that um, his drinking was possibly tempered by the fact that the box was running low. I mean, yeah, you know, you got it. Like, uh, he, if he was really the, drinking his way through those samples. If you're at the end of the bag, the lines get thinner. It's exactly. just the way it is. I love that coffee is the antidote to alcohol. Yeah. And, and so, water in the face, don't forget. Yeah, yeah water in the face. Water but, face. well, one thing, I was thinking that same thing, and then he threw up. And I was wondering if the coffee was supposed to make him throw up. I was thinking Be that too. Because if that's the case, then yeah, you're on the right track. That helps. Get, the, helps, get, get the shit out that's in there. But, but, yeah, it's, that kinda, point, it's, it's kind of a system. trope almost. Yeah, the, yeah. The, coffee, the coffee The coffee sobriety. sobering people up. That yeah. always kind of gets me because, like, <laughs> no, you just got a more lively drunk. Well, like, I mean, the, the, yeah, but the thing is, like, a, a lot of the um, the badness of his situation of being drunk is just being not alert, being tired. So, you know, if you're, if the coffee will combat the literal physical tiredness. Mm. So, it also is a, it's a dehydrates you kind of a little bit too. So I don't think that's good. As exactly. Far as, I'm saying it's bad. Yeah, yeah, definitely worse. It's the uh, bomb cyclone, gentlemen. It's taking over. Sweet. Okay. Um, what else do I want to say? I also love the uh, the throwaway joke from Buck. Um, mm. Do you think I should charge half price for the baby? <laughs> <laughs> it's great, these sex. I want to talk about Buck. I just want to say- Buck was great. You didn't like him at first. Well, you were, you were no, Buck was him. terribly annoying. <laughs> In retrospect, his, his character was cute. Mm. But yeah, I, I I was very tired of Buck for most of the film. <laughs> I think he grows on you. Yeah, I, think I like he grows him. on you. He does. He does. It's just like the voice is so fucking much. And, and see, to me, this movie would have been way too, I don't know, dark and like um, slow and low if it wasn't for the Buck character. Yeah. Like literally if they had cast anyone else mm -hmm. as the Buck character, I think this movie would have had like a completely different 
sort of tone across it. Yeah. I think that character is really what lends the the lightheartedness to this that makes this a bearable movie, in my opinion. So Buck was played by Andy Devine. Andrew Devine. Uh, he's best remembered for his role as Cookie as is the he, sidekick in Roy Rogers' he 10 to feature Adam Devine? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Did you hear what I said? He was Cookie in 10 features? Yeah, Roy Rogers. Roy Rogers. Yeah. Oh. Uh, but yeah. I've never he, seen a Roy Rogers movie. Seen a Roy Rogers. Hmm. Oh, the, yeah. A oh, decent the, eatery. <laughs> That's relevant, guys. Um, yeah. What do you guys think about the banker in general? Did you think that it was just too vague? And he was just, you know, your your run of the mill smug prick. Yeah, yeah. Oh. that's uh, the problem. All these characters, they're just they're just all. Everybody f- was pretty run of the surface mill. level I mean, it, archetypes. Yeah, I was watching this movie and like in my head periodically, I would hear just like a basket case, mm. a princess. Yeah. Um, and we didn't really did talk at all about the racism towards Native Americans. Um, this like John Ford and John Wayne were both just horrendous fucking racists. I think that's just true, isn't it? I think, but definitely by modern standards, for sure. I think by their standards, yes, true again, (laughs) but not as bad. I think objectively, of course. I think no, no. I think even in their era, I would say yes, probably, but not like we think. We're, I mean, they were just like, you know, old men kind of thing. But it, it, yeah, they were. Well, I mean, like the time, but the thing, the, the unfortunate thing is back then the status quo was really racist. Yeah. You know, it was a white man's world back then. This is the, you know, pre the era of like, you know, your Don Drapers and so on and so forth. Like it. I mean, that's who they're making movies for. This is who John, John Wayne is the hero for white men. Let's be honest. He's not yeah. a hero for women. He's not a hero for people of color. He's here for white men. Well, and so what, what does that say about the film's legacy? You tell me. You're the big picture guy. I am the big picture guy. <laughs> I put myself on the spot. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, I mean, I think if I have to answer, I think it's, it's definitely one of its place and time. But yeah. I think it, in general, John Ford, it, we we view it like it's an early film and it's a work in progress. Knowing what I knew about the movie and knowing what I know about John Wayne and 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 all that, uh, especially with uh, uh, there was that interview that surfaced recently or whatever that was done in nineteen. John Wayne got me too. Yeah, I wow. guess so. Posthumously. <laughs> Uh, Did his hologram get me too? He, he said something about like white power or something like oh, that. Oh, Jesus. Some shit in some interview in the 70s. Do you know, you know about this? Yeah, of course. It's the Playboy interview. It's very famous. Yeah. So uh, uh, I went into this movie like thinking, because uh, Joey told me that we were watching Stagecoach this mm. week. And I'm like, oh, fucking shit. Uh, you know, I don't want to watch a John Wayne movie. Um, and I tried not to enjoy it. And I ended up enjoying it. Um, you know, despite the... Like the the story was good, you know, and I I just genuinely like westerns, but mm-hmm. uh, there there's a really glaring race problem that you just can't ignore. Uh, specifically to Native Americans here, we didn't see the bad guy. Sorry, you can call them the bad guys. They were they, you know Geronimo until the end, and we didn't. I'm not even sure we really. I don't saw think we ever him. saw Geronimo. Maybe in that quick couple. The, there was a couple close ups. The thing that actually kind of shocked me a little bit was uh uh. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think in a lot of westerns for the uh, the Native American roles, they would cast a white guy 
Sure. And and dr- yeah. in sure. this, it Boundaries. actually looked. It did not look like they were casting like white guys and and putting them in wigs. It looked like they actually cast native people, which seemed oddly forward thinking. Of honestly, the- I I would jump on that, but I'm gonna say it's budgetary. So if you're doing a movie where uh, a Native American has a speaking role, mm-hmm. then it makes sense to go through hair and makeup for that. But if you're doing a scene where you have a hundred extras to we can either cast people that already look like that, or we can get a bunch of makeup. Never mind, and, it's not forward and thinking. He, <laughs> fuck John he was, he was shooting in Monument Valley, yeah. Yeah. Know, he, he, where this is a Native American, uh, it's literally a Navajo reservation. So he, I'm sure, was using some of them as extras, I bet. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know what? And uh, there's a lot of nuance there because yeah. he's giving them money the, and exactly. business and, and hiring work. them and work. And throughout his career, he comes back to Monument Valley four, mm. five, six, seven, I don't even know how many times. And nowadays- the Generations you know, of extras. Literally, I, I go there and I spend money there. You know, yeah. I drive- Because of John because Ford's of movies. Because of John Ford's yeah. movies. So there's something to be said, even maybe he did exploit them, but- he did provide them a source of revenue for many, many generations. Um, so there's a good and the bad. I don't, I don't know how to judge that. What about that. the ugly? <laughs> yeah, I that think that's good. a really fine line. Because yeah. like, I see what you're saying, but I don't want to agree with it. I don't yeah, either. I, I have trouble it, with it. It almost, it seems it feels like, like if, if you hear people talk about how like white people are the ones who ended slavery, it's like, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, the, it's that that his, that lens of historical context that like all of the bad things in history have led to now. Mm-hmm. You know, like yes, all of this bad stuff happened, but without any of that bad stuff, we wouldn't have iPhones and we wouldn't have what we have today. So you know, I, I yeah, yeah, it's 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 a it is a weird lens to try and um, make things better through. Um, I without. Without real context, without actually having been there, I can't really say, you know, how much detriment there was, but we can definitely see some benefit. I think you're right, Tim. In the bigger picture, we should say that, yes, it's nice that we were, during this period, you know, they had reservations that treated them somewhat fairly. The bigger picture is, why are they in reservations? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's the the answer. And that's the that's the question we should all be asking in general. Uh and, and look to the history there. And you just go back further back and further back. Um but I I, I don't know if you want to, you know, we're, just, we're not placing that blame on John Ford and John Wayne. That's all I'm saying. So yeah. um what whatever. I I think it's but, <laughs> so well, in conclusion, no, fuck no, John but Ford. I did want to talk more about the because the, they're faceless. And mm. we do have the, you know, the, they call him uh, the noble savage. This yeah, is yeah. a trope that we're gonna see in tons yeah. of movies. Your wife is a savage. Just because it's it's going to be starting now. We're going to watch a lot of Westerns. We're going to watch really? a lot of other stuff. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Look, Westerns are great. No? Yeah, yeah. So they, have to, we're going to have to learn to like them, Sean. Yeah. I mean, you're going to learn. Yeah. Sorry, uh, I hate uh, all genres. We'll so watch better matter. ones. This is this is the oldest, the most prototypical. Right. I was it's really like, surprised at how early this, like for a pick, it's like really 39 for a Western. Mm. Um, but uh, this, shockingly, uh, what? I just think this is more, you know, take your vitamins, but you know, kind mm. of thing, you know. Eat your salad before you have your dessert. <laughs> it's kind of what this show is. <clears throat> In many ways. <laughs> <laughs> your vegetables. Yeah, dessert being other film podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> We're just your appetizer podcast. I'll take it. Yeah, man. As long as you're paying for dessert. Um, or appetizers. Okay. Fucked up the thing with the stuff. Should we rate it? Let's do it. Yeah, what do you think, Joey? Okay. What's your number? So I'm going to give this... A 
seven out of 10. Hmm. I did enjoy it. Justify yourself. But it has a lot of problematic issues, obviously, with a lot of the racism, uh, a lot of the treatment of women. Um, and it is just, again, very two-dimensional. There's not a hero I, I get, I fall in love with. There's not even a Clint Eastwood. I mean, yeah. Ringo is not Clint Eastwood. He's cool. I like John Wayne. Mm-hmm. I respect him. I, yeah. I, when I look at him, I'm like, he's a badass, but I don't empathize with him like yep. I do Clint Eastwood. Uh, I don't know why, whatever it is, but the way it's shot, the, the dialogue, the style, whatever it is. So I don't have that. Everyone's two-dimensional. Everyone's a cardboard character. He's definitely no Jimmy Stewart. He's got a rigidity to him. Yeah. That's hard to relate with. Yeah, and that's it's respectable, but it's not relatable. Well, he's he's cool, you know. Yeah. Yes. You don't relate to cool. No. You're just in awe of it. Yeah, you know. It's just and that's all John Wayne had. It's the different role models of the time. It's yeah. the, he's not a John a James Dean type. He's yeah, he's the for the older generation mm-hmm. to look up to, and that's why he was so great in all these old World War II movies when he's you know just the hero of all the movies. Yeah, he's the guy that got shit done. The fucking uh, the greatest generation, like. But I, this movie has so many flashes of brilliance. It's clear to see that John Ford's a master, and uh, and I'm excited to watch more. Honestly, John Ford movies, especially The Searchers, which I know me is too really now, great. yeah. Um, but uh, just the stunts, my God, you could watch this movie just for the stunts yeah. and be like amazed. It, it is some of the best stunt work you will ever see. Period. Like seriously. Um, and and obviously that takes into account all the horses that were harmed too. We got to say that, you know, you got you can't say it without saying one or the other. Um, but I will say it's enjoyable. It does hold up, which actually is kind of crazy. Even though the characters are two dimensional, it does keep pace up, and you can follow it along. I don't think a younger generation would be bored with this. I think they could be like, okay, the characters are kind of silly, but they're interested. I think it is interesting. So um, okay, you should see this before you die. How about that? Damn. A ringing endorsement from Joseph Bonnier. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm certainly not going to endorse it anywhere near as much as Mr. Bonnier does. Um, I'm thinking somewhere in the two to two and a half stars out of five, um, somewhere in that mid-range to lower watchability. Um, Like I said, it was enjoyable, but I think most of that enjoyment was our mystery science theater viewing of it. Um, Again, watching it alone, I don't think I would have enjoyed it. I might have forced myself to sit through it, but I probably would have been distracted by computers and eight other things. Um, It's... I, as far as it being um, a modern movie, uh, it's... It's got elements and it's got things that I think could keep some interest, but I think it just like, to me, it's one of those movies that like, there's a lot of nothing and then something happens that you're supposed to know about and that goes by really quickly and then a lot of nothing. Like, I feel like there's just so much time wasted on the bullshit and the stuff you're supposed to know about happens so quickly and like half of it is like vaguely explained and not really understand or understandable, I should say, um, that it just, it falls a little flat to me. Um, I think, you know, there are, like you said, very good elements and as a, uh, as a test run, as a pilot for all the rest of what we're about to see from Ford and, uh, or both the Johns, I should say, um, it is, you know, there, it's a good testing ground, but I'd like to see a final product. Yeah. Tim Snow. I'm going to rate this movie about 45 dead horses. (laughs) <laughs> because the reality of it is a little fucked up, but I do like horses. 
Um, and everyone needs And I glue. can't change that, <laughs> yeah. you know? Uh, it, I, I've always really enjoyed Westerns. I love the, I love the West in particular. I absolutely love deserts. Can't get enough of it. That's why you moved to um, California? Uh, yeah, it's a big reason why, actually. Mm. Uh, uh, but uh, I just love the wide open spaces of a good of a good western. Now that having been said, I haven't seen a whole lot of the uh, classic westerns. I've seen a lot of you know like uh, just about every recent western mm. that's been made. I've seen, uh, but uh, going back past like I don't know fucking Young Guns. I haven't <laughs> seen. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, let me, let me Emilio. Yeah, no, going past like Billy Jack, let's say, mm. um, or like the outlaw Josie Wales. I haven't seen a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of classic westerns, and I really enjoyed this. You know, sitting through it, like y- you know, it, it, it. The movie has its problems. The movie's got uh, its perspective issues. Um, you know, in relation to like race and just time. Uh, but. For that having been said, I uh, I really had a good time watching this movie. Uh, the stunts were amazing. You know, couldn't have, couldn't have been done without destroying a lot of horses. Shouldn't have been done. You <laughs> know, if you want to if you want to get moralistic about it. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, just it, it was a fun ride. You know, and uh, the you know the two dimensionality of the characters. It, it was it was an interesting enough ensemble that all of those kind of paper cutouts of mm-hmm. characters weren't weren't so uh abrasive as a as a viewer you mm-hmm. know it wasn't so hard to watch because they all played off of each other pretty well yeah um i don't know i think like when it was starting to build i was expecting more of like uh what is that agatha christie 10 little indian sort of thing mm-hmm. where like you know we put a bunch of people in and there's like a bad person and we like you know develop more characters and shit like this was extremely two-dimensional and like all of the problems were outside of these characters it was all existential rather than being like internal character conflicts uh to me i think that's you know where it just feels more separated like you know you're just kind of observing some people doing some shit rather than like being in a stagecoach where shit's going down I, you know i didn't really notice any great care yeah. in this movie you know you watch some movies you watch like uh you you mentioned barry linden mm-hmm. for lightning um in the past like you watch kubrick's movies mm-hmm. any of them really and there's so much care yeah. into every last detail yep. that that it's truly it's just a masterwork. And this that that's really not present. You know, yeah. you could tell that it was you know the kind of set where uh, somebody would be you know just playing music and like why I don't know for ambience. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's not the point. He he's he wants a gritty feel, and he 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 doesn't care about the specific details in each frame. He wants you to focus He's on not precious. John Wayne and what a badass he is. Yeah. That- Thank God he had John Wayne. Was it a, like well, a man he, crush? He picked him out. Yeah, he kind of like saw him and said, this guy has it and no one else saw it. Did, did he find him in the mall? I don't know where he found him. That's a question. <laughs> I bet he was an extra in one of his films or something. And, um, one of his call boys. Yeah, that's kind of where I like, was. You've got a special thing about you and I'm not talking about that thing you do with your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> See our apology episode for uh, more on that. Um, I like that episode. It's <laughs> a great episode. Right on. So, what's next, guys? It's you, really, aren't you? Oh, yeah, sure, it is next. me. I'm supposed to pick. Um, since I'm on the spot here and I can't really think straight, uh, Singing in the Rain, it is. Um, 
Yeah. So we're going to get into musicals, people. Join us possibly next week for a little Singing in the Rain and some Gene Kelly action. I'm excited. I've never yeah. seen it. So Neither yeah. have I. It'll be I, fun. Yeah. I hate musicals. Oh. You know. Well, tune in next week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, usually yeah. I'm the hater, but maybe we'll uh, rotate yeah, listen to Tim go <laughs> Sean Fa about musicals. So, uh, Sean Fa, what other podcasts could we listen to? Oh, Jesus. There's a lot of them. Yeah. 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 Uh, you can go to SeanFaugh.com and find all of them. We got the Literally Literary. We got Text Before Calling. We got Paula Tinkerin. We got Going Down on South Park. We got Wild Wild Westworld. We got this show, Celluloid Breakdown. And I feel like I'm forgetting one, but I don't really care. You uh, got him. Paula Tinkerin. Nope. Did I say Paul Tinker? Oh, there's also the British History Podcast. Oh, yes. My British which History is not pod. related to this show at all, but it's the only <laughs> podcast I listen to, and it's fucking great. Yeah. So we're it's plugging just, other yeah. shows. All right. Sorry. Yeah. But it's a British history, not any other country. Yeah, and it's just the, it's the history. <laughs> it's the only history that matters. Dude, I'm like an extended plugger this now. Uh, <laughs> it's the history of Great Britain from like the Ice Age to World War II. Um, and it, just, it, it goes into great, incredible detail. Do you want us to it. donate to their Patreon too? Uh, what about stamps.com? Well, like a viewer could donate or a listener could donate to their Patreon should they choose you know, they could go to BritishHistoryPodcast.com or they could visit their Facebook. They also have a Twitter. Um. <laughs> Sean, uh, what? So uh, since we're throwing out random recommendations yeah. here, I'm going to uh, give you, uh, over the last six months or so, I've been doing the three movies a week at AMC. And um, the most recent thing that I can recommend is The Public. Uh, since you brought up uh, gun, Young Guns and uh, Emilio, uh, this is uh, Emilio Estevez's uh, directing a movie about librarians. Um, it's great. Check it out. It's one of the best movies Shh. I've seen in a little while. Said the public. <laughs> it's quiet. Said the public. The public. Yeah. Wow. I gotta. I've been. I've been looking for a movie to go see. Yeah. I mean, I. I, I might be overselling it a little bit it's just hard because for me I to thought talk it myself was. Into going to the movies these days. Yeah, yeah. I don't have that fucking AMC. I need to get that. You got. I mean, if I'm gonna plug anything, it's fucking twenty bucks a month for three movies a week. My thing like, is just Jesus like Christ. maybe I'll maybe I'll get it and just start going with you because like my thing <laughs> is like I don't want to go to the movies by myself. Well, uh, oh, see, to me that's the thing. Like that's why I like it because I. I have like such a weird random schedule that I can just kind of go over there whenever. So it is like one of those, like I didn't like movie pass because it was so fucking um, regimented. Like you had to do everything so far in advance. Like with this one, you can literally just show up and do oh, the you app. Can just, and oh, you can just walk in for the most part. I mean, you, you know, you do it on the app, but it takes like two seconds to do. And then you walk in and you scan like it's, yeah. It's all interesting. Kind of, interesting. Well, you know, maybe I'll get that. Cause like, I'm, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, again, um, another AMC plug for a company stubs. that's not paying us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, stop. Uh, is AMC there a po another month. movie podcast, Sean, that you might want to plug? Really? Should I? Yeah. Uh, what is it? Uh, the Cinephiles? Uh, yeah, we should probably plug Cinef them. Cinephiliacs? Uh, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, The Cinephiles. Uh, yeah, uh, hosted by Mr. Uh, Steve Morris, friend of the show. Check it out. Uh, probably... You'll like them better. Yeah. <laughs> it's like us, but if you know we were professionals, if we knew things and like talked, we were about good stuff. at stuff. Yeah. They don't have a big picture guy. <laughs> well, they do more no, modern movies where we do. Yeah, they more also yeah they did Back period. to the Future recently. Yeah, um, and they've got like you know they've got more of an encyclopedic approach to it. That's maybe true, but. Yeah. The different styles. I've never listened to the episodes. <laughs> this is all my conjecture. Um, 
Hi, what, Steve. What about you, Mr. Bonnier? Any, Any recommendations? recommendations? Uh, no. No. No? Nothing. Jesus Christ. I really don't Text have anything. before calling is great. <laughs> no, just, yeah, listen to this podcast. Go back and listen to other episodes of this podcast. Go listen yeah. to A Man Escaped. Go watch A Man Escaped. Yeah, that was a great one. I was on that I always episode. recommend that one. And it's such great sound design for that era. Mm. And I, I even recommend that one to my, my students of sound design. Because they're always looking for kind of... They all love older French films. Let's be honest; they're film snobs. So mm-hmm. whenever I can recommend them a, f- a French film or a, you know an old classic film that has great sound design and gets them interested in sound, it's a it's a blessing. No. So if you guys have any recommendations, feedback, or just want to yell or rant at us, uh, you can contact us at. Uh, uh, at Celluloid Break on Twitter. You can talk directly to Joey uh, on the Twitters at J-O-E-B-O-N-I-E-R. Uh, you can direct me at text before calling at the Twitters. And uh, Mr. Snow, is there a way that they can yell at you? You can email me <laughs> at uh, timothy.jeff.snow at gmail.com. At <laughs> uh, And then I will then give you my personal telephone number and you can call me late night. Right on. <laughs> Wow. Wasn't Chris Pratt or someone doing that recently? What? Someone, some big star recently just put their cell phone number on Twitter and said, just text me directly. For that little bit that I was doing just there, I I was about to actually put my telephone number on there. And it's like, nah, I'm not fucking doing that. (laughs) And even no one listens to this. Imagine if you had a few million listeners. Yeah, I know. know. And I'm not even popular. But that's the thing is like, I would only just get more robocalls. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, so robo yep. calls. All right. Yeah. Well, it's over now. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of Celluloid Breakdown. Shut up, friends. The podcast is you can all do other things. Thanks for listening, Mom. It's kind of the beauty of the podcast. Mom listens? Can... No, my mom doesn't know how to listen to podcasts. My parents are technologically illiterate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they call me up to, to they call me up to help them figure out how to run their vacuum cleaner. Jesus. That's cute. Well, they have like a Roomba though. My mom uh, calls it Winky. <laughs> my mom's theory is that her her uh her vacuum is an alcoholic. So <laughs> cuz it's just really shitty at being a thing. <laughs> Alcoholism. It's it's not funny to laugh at though. It's, yeah, it's, 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 it's funny. It's a joke. People need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. <laughs> Watch this movie if you want to <laughs> yeah. see a nuanced view of alcoholism. Yeah, yeah. Watch uh, a, a wonderful redemption story of a drunk doctor run out of town. Saves del- a baby. Who delivers himself and another baby. From redemption? From- <laughs> 